0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Go to Casper.com slash GOT and use promo code GOT, capital G,
1: capital O, capital T, to save $50 off your purchase of a mattress. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Sonos. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of Game of Thrones podcast 10% off, one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code GOT10, capital G, capital O, capital T, one zero at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim, and I'm Aaron, and we're back for uh, one one more wrap up as season seven ends. uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about, but presumably we'll be talking about the season. Oh, we have
0: we have yet (laughs) one more wrap up though the spoiler edition. Well, yeah, that'll be coming out later. I don't don't, I don't listen to that one. (laughs) Yeah. all right. Well, you have to say at least ten words. That's the contract quota. You have to say at least ten words in the spoiler edition, or else you don't get paid. <laughs> okay. That's that's the deal. That's, I didn't. That's sign that the contract. deal we signed eight thousand years ago. Uh, I have my armies amassed beyond the spoiler wall. I'm just. I got mm. my. I got my ice I'm just waiting. Just waiting for you to break it. Um, okay. So we talked about this on last week's uh, spoiler edition, and it's not nothing particularly spoilery about it. And I get dozens of emails. Um, still getting dozens of emails about it. It's a theory mm. about. Bran is actually the Knights King.
1: Oh, or they the look so much king. alike.
0: Um because there's a lot, there's lots of quote-unquote evidence for this. There's the fact that they do dress similarly, which I think we've talked about before. The current current state of art theory appears appears to be that we've seen Bran Greensea back to the very beginning of the Night King when he get turned into the the uh, the warrior that we see today. Mm-hmm. Which Frosty crown upon his brow, uh, armed to the teeth with dra- white-making dragon missiles, uh, and that, that since since Bran has seen that before, he's going, and and since we also saw that Bran can warg into visions that he's seen in the past, such as Hodor, um, that he is going to attempt to break up this thing. He's like, oh well, I'll just start it at the, I'll just nip it in the bud. And he'll attempt a war again to this, uh, you know, northern man who's being sacrificed by the uh, Children of the Forest. And he'll turn into uh, – and he'll try to stop it, but they won't listen to him or he's gagged or he, f- you know, forgot all – a, a do- any dozen – This is sounding awfully fanfiction Any Any one of a dozen things that, that, is a, that signals that this plan's a bad idea. And the Children of the Forest uh, turn him into a White Walker anyway. And now his consciousness is trapped – into the Night King for 8,000-some years, thus explaining their mysterious uh, uh, psychic connection. I'm waiting
1: for some evidence that... The- I just gave it to you. Did you not hear all the evidence? <laughs> I heard th- I heard evidence that it could happen. Yeah. I have not heard evidence that it will happen. I'm just saying this is the latest whack I'm like, And the thing is, yeah.
0: this does not
1: mean that this is
0: not exactly what is going to happen. Like, I'm not... I would not even be shocked... To find out that there is some kind of thing like this as a twist, like I don't think that Bran is literally going to be the Night King, mm-hmm. um, but them having some kind of relationship, or the Three Eyed Raven and the Night King having some kind of offsetting duty to the natural world, like that, or Bran trying to do time traveling and turning the Mad King crazy, like the I have no doubt that Game of Thrones is big enough. To have something like this as a twist, I just don't see the evidence, and I also just instinctively dislike any time where the one of the heroes can pull his face back and it's actually the villain, or the villain can pull his face off and it's actually the hero. Uh-huh. Like that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's what I think about this theory, and and now we can stop <laughs> talking about it for another season. I'm sure it'll okay. come, ra- r- you know, raging back in
1: season eight, but anything you want to include Yeah, can we talk for maybe a little bit about what we thought of the season after a week of uh distance from the finale? Sure. I okay. feel
0: I feel like I, I I feel like I jumped the gun on the, the Yeah. about the theory. A little bit, I think. Maybe we should just okay. start this all over. Go no. back to logo. All right. We're good. Uh we'll
1: we'll time travel back to before this and okay. put it
0: in. <laughs> you need to work back in time to my body to prevent me from shooting mm-hmm. my wad about the night king theory. All right, what what do you think?
1: Uh I I actually so I've been thinking about it for a week or so and I think mm-hmm. this season is certainly not the strongest from a narrative perspective, mm-hmm. from like a storytelling mm-hmm. uh attention to detail mm-hmm. sort of perspective, but I think the show has never been stronger from a spectacle um angle, you know. Uh, and as we draw closer to the end of this show it very much feels like that's what it has to become Mm -hmm. i mean they've they've been setting this up for seven seasons now it's the the final climactic battle between good and evil between the dead and the living that sort of thing um yes it's it's tropey but that's fantasy right like there are only so many forces um that people can come up with in this world and at some point you have to put them opposing each other yeah and That has to have a conclusion one way or another. And I don't know whether the Night King is going to win and all of humanity or whatever they're called in Westeros is going to be destroyed. Right. Or, you know, if quote unquote good is going to triumph and the people will survive. But there has to be that battle. And I think the show has, I I almost feel like last season they maybe should have been closing out some of the threads a little bit. Um, instead of opening so many more new ones, because it felt like going into this season, for me anyway, it didn't feel like we were going to say, all right, let's bring this thing to a close. Right. And. I, I think maybe servicing that, that idea a little bit more last season might have helped this season not have to move at such a fast
0: clip. Or like the Alan Suppenwall theory is that you shouldn't give showrunners more than one year to finish things up because <laughs> right. then they just do a lot of they just spend uh-huh. the whole time warming up and throat clearing and then they the save the fireworks for next season. But that doesn't feel... It like, doesn't feel like, like that's what, what they did. Fireworks here. were spared for this season. None.
1: That's what I mean. Like they almost went a little too quickly in yeah. getting to the fireworks, but the fireworks yeah. were
0: awesome. Yeah, and I. So I've seen there's so many polarizing views in this season. Um, like you know, there's 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 corners on Reddit where people are essentially saying this has turned into the third act of a Michael Bay movie. This is turned into the third act of every story. I well, I, like I want to unpack a that a thing. little bit because number <laughs> okay. one. If the first two acts of a Michael Bay film were the first three, six seasons of this Game of Thrones series, yeah. it's already better than your fucking average Michael Bay film. So right. the, the the pyrotechnics to come are going to be grounded in presumably rich character motivations, and you're going to mm-hmm. actually care about the, the, the fucking robots and the Decepticons and Autobots and the yeah. Dinobots and all the other th- shit. like. You, the the analogy disproves your your kind of lack of interest in it just by, by stating it. The second is, now I'm going to go swing back the other way. I do think that even if this becomes the third act of a Michael Bay film, um, I would enjoy it more if I didn't have entire sections of the plot underpinned by giant asterisks. Like, mm-hmm. this is awesome if you assume everything that the character's doing is not totally stupid, which mm-hmm. it is. Like, yeah. like it, too much of this season had me, like, biting my tongue and being like, okay, well, this is objectively awesome, and I like how they resolved this, but the entire reason these people are here is, is stupid. Yeah. Or, you know, I like the way this character ended up here, but the way they behaved towards each other for the first three parts of this particular plot was big head scratcher didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to go into episode or season eight where we can just say this is spectacle beyond anything we've ever seen and it's all grounded in these people's like characterizations and and, 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 and dialogue and logic and plot that makes sense and it's just objectively awesome. That's what I'm hoping for.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um I, I do think they did some some things that surprised me. Like at the end of season six you you've got this big rah-rah scene where mm-hmm. Danny has teamed up with the Sand Snakes right. and Fireball. teamed up with uh, the Martells and yep. the, the Tyrells and, and, the all, the all those, and all the L's between. Yep. Uh, and, and she's sailing over to Westeros to presumably just kick ass and yes. take over. And I like the way that they kind of pump the brakes on that. That's That's one of the plots that they did pump the brakes on. Um, yeah, because she could have just stormed in with dragons blazing and taken over Westeros, no problem. But it made a lot of sense for her not to do it, and and they laid that case out pretty well.
0: I think that's that's the, you're exactly right. I totally agree. But it's it's indicative of the fandom that even then, a lot of people are like, oh my god, Dragonstone is is just a smaller version of Marine, you know, more landlocked version of Marine. Like,
1: but there's a lot of
0: good reasons for it to be so. You know, and there were in the book. Like there's was, there's was very good reasons for Danny to spend books and books and books and 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 you know episodes and episodes in Essos practicing being a queen, but like right. still did not make it any less frustrating when mm. it looked like okay, this is the season <laughs> she's going to go over, and then there was a
1: setback or something. Huh. So like I, I never had those fr- those really? frustrations with it. No, I always felt like she's trying to accomplish her goal, huh. and her goal is not just to destroy everyone and rule over a burnt landscape, right?
0: I remember, I remember when I was watching season two, and I when I was watching season two, I had read the first, I think, two books, maybe three. Maybe I gotten all the way through, a, a, you know, a Clash of Kings and Storm of Swords, but I hadn't read Feast or Dance, and I read those between season two and three. And I remember in season two being very frustrated and patient with Danny and her or where are my dragons bullshit and, like, how much foot dragging. And then I got to the books, and, like, I was really frustrated um, with the stuff going on in Feast or Dance. And I, <laughs> I remember reading this uh, Miranese blot blog that kind of, like, let like revealed underneath the frustrations that deeper political games were being uh, played. And I got reinvested. But I kind mm, yeah. I, I kind of think that if I was just a show watcher, it would have gotten really tedious. Like, okay – I'm looking for Danny to go uh, to, to go back and kick ass essentially after the end of season one, and I have to wait until <laughs> season seven to see her actually make landfall. Yeah, I can see it being frustrating. And then when you think you're right, that last se- episode of the season six with with the dragons flying and this big convoy, and Danny's at the head of this sh- this, this fleet of ships, like yes. And then like you know the 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 the, the brakes being pumped itself, I could see being frustrating.
1: Yeah. I, I suppose so. Um, I guess I just didn't view it the same way as a lot of people did. I want to
0: say that I have come around on the Theon plot okay. line and line, the, yeah. and, and a piece of feedback in large part helped me with that. Um, also, I watched Alt Shift X's um, video today, and he... I, you know like I was already heading that direction and I think that it, first of all he's brilliant he's got this deadpan delivery so he like is able to point out all the good things and bad things but he uses this exact same tone of voice so it's like I don't know it's 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 something to learn if you want to persuade people because he just states these matter of fact things and like you can't really disagree or agree with them it's like some people say this some people say this and here's what I think and I do it in this neutral uh, British voice that you can't argue with <laughs> Um, so let's talk about Theon, but also I I I really, really liked all the Winterfell stuff, which is highly controversial. Huh. Okay. Um so people are still wanting to ride or die for Littlefinger.
1: Um <laughs> Littlefinger was a shit. He's yeah. always been a shit and he deserved to die from day one. Yeah. What like, do you what do you want? Like I I, I I see that's what's frustrating uh, to he's me. He's great to watch.
0: He's so much fun to watch, but he's an ass. That's what's frustrating to me is that he like like they have been showing they've been they have been sowing the seeds of his destruction for the last 3 seasons now ever since he mm-hmm. kind of revealed his fixation with with uh with Sansa and to me like a character has to be allowed some kind of imperfection or foible or they're going they're just like an un, completely unrelatable super force yeah. and you know Littlefinger as was never a great warrior he was always a great political schemer and he's able to manipulate currencies and stock market for like essentially that's what that's how he got powerful and none mm-hmm. of those things matter in the face of the long night and the populace starving and mm-hmm. money no longer being something that you know you, you're just that, that's what the that's what the hound story told you know that like he took this 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 farmer and his daughter's small stash like uh, well they're going to starve anyway and that's like everyone in the realm save like the lords and ladies that's the fate they're looking at right now so like peter like he just ran out of rope man yeah and and i don't think he could deal with the fact that like the person he was trying to scheme against now was also the person that he wanted to be in his little picture of of his victory condition Uh uh-huh and I didn't need to see – now, there is some surprise – did you read any of the stuff that came out from, like, a uh, uh, an interview with Isaac Hempstead Wright about, like, a scene that they had cut? Huh. We'll be talking about that in the feedback. Okay. Um, but I thought that they told a pretty – like, and there's – just if you if you stick with the stuff on the screen, there's like three different ways to interpret how Sansa and Arya and Bran came together. Like you can and you could say like, well, Sansa figured out first, or Arya figured out first, or they all figured it out at the same time, and they're all kind of supported by the screen. But I felt like all that stuff was there. And if you're going to be mad that there is theatrics involved in the bring in in, in the demise of Littlefinger, then like I, you're just arguing against yourself. Like either he needs a fitting in with a little bit of showmanship to put it over the ed- edge, or you know, I, I I guess I that's
1: the thing, like, for the people that hated the Littlefinger plot, like, how do you think Littlefinger should have gone out? I, I mean, the thing that I so love about it is Littlefinger, the whole way, was giving Sansa the tools she needed to defeat him. Yeah. Um, y- You know, he was—I I think he was trying to groom her, in a certain manner of speaking, to, right. to be, like you said, in that picture of success that he saw. But she's not that type of person, and by handing her the tools that he uses— she's using them for good, right? Right. Like, not for, for self-gain. Right. Um, and he just, I guess, expected to have more control over her um, and just right. failed.
0: And also, did he... I mean, how does Littlefinger predict that he's going to come across Brandon Stark who can <laughs> see the past? <laughs> you can't, yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Like, it's fine for people to be completely outmatched by some kind of change in, in, in the worldview. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, the only thing that has been more satisfying... If Littlefinger had before this episode pieced out and tried to sneak out of Westeros under cover of darkness and like maybe tried to sneak out by the port of Eastwatch by the sea and got killed by the Whites invasion.
1: Yep. That would be the uh, only
0: thing more dramatically ironic, the thing that he ignores, is the thing that gets him in the end, mm-hmm. just when he thinks he's safe. But like I don't you know, getting your throat slit by Arya, not a bad way to go. Yeah. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I
1: think that's about it. It,
0: it seems like the, the, the there was a lot of a lot of noise and fury about Tyrion and his bedroom eyes. I feel like that that fought that, that that battle's been fought over the internet, and people have come to the side of like Tyrion is not in love with Danny; he's just disturbed about the political ramifications of.
1: Uh, that's where I fell on it, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there's like you know that's another thing Alt Shift X did is he overlaid a lot of quotes for a lot of people being disturbed about you know um, like like there's like Sir Barristan had some some private ruminations about um, you know. The thing that Rhaegar and Lyanna did by falling in love really fucked the realm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, like they kind of that—that that was a very selfish move by them. And started the the war. Tyrion, right? who's an exquisite historian mm-hmm. uh, or student of history, would see like, oh, this could be. You know, you got you, you. I need Dany to make decisions as best for the realm, and can I trust her to do that if there's a decision that's good for the realm but bad for Jon Snow? Right. Um, and that's a fair question to ask these young attract ridiculously good-looking people that are in love. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I that's that's my general thoughts. Um someone so let's let's get to this. Someone asked us to rank the seasons. Uh it was John <laughs> okay. S, John Snow. Okay. Uh, he laid out 4 3 1 6 2 7 5.
1: No, I don't agree with that. Which? I, with season 2 I liked a lot.
0: Yeah, I did too. Like so my my ranking is I think they're all approximately as good as one another. Now, it is jarring to see, like, the budget keeps jumping up each season. Like, mm-hmm. locations that you thought were awesome and looked great in season one, like Winterfell, like, it looks a bit stagey in the film. The, 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 the film uh, cinematography is just not quite as good as mm-hmm. they continue to get better with this. But I think they're all approximately as good with two being a minor drop-off in quality because mm-hmm. of uh, Danny and her dragon bullshit. We're about okay. to dive into yeah. that. Season 2 rewatch starts next week.
1: That's fair, but... Uh, and 5 and Tyr- 7... Tyrion pulls that up a little you're bit. Right, had, you're right, you're right. Know, he That's, grabs
0: it by the bootstraps. And, that is peak Tyrion. Yeah. Um, and I think Season 5 is noticeably off, yeah. Um. and Season 7 is also noticeably off but makes up for it by not being as... Because here's the thing, like, Season 5 just had bad ideas. Mm. A lot of bad ideas and bad execution. I feel like Season 7 had one whopper of a bad idea mm-hmm. that had middling execution, but then they finally brought some A-plus execution at the end. Yeah. Uh, but Season 5, I think, is the worst the worst season. I would agree with that, yeah. Uh, just because they really... They decided to make... Jamie differ from Book Jamie in that like Book Jamie's done with Cersei at the end of Dance with Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um and in show uh, Jamie decided to rekindle things with her and that decision really seemed to fuck with with what they were gonna do with Jamie. Well in the Dorne, that seems like a good idea, but you go down to Dorne and Dorne's just ridiculous mm-hmm. and they never really had a plan to make You know, like Doran's machinations in the book happen, and like that was a wasted character. And
1: it almost seemed like they spent too much time. So if they had gone with the book stuff, it it would feel a lot better. But I think the way it turned out, it feels like they spent too much time introducing bad characters.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing: I don't understand because I always hear like even great successful showrunners. Like I'm thinking Terrence Winters, I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking uh, Vince Gilligan, I'm thinking Matthew Weiner, Weiner. David Simon. They don't – well, he's he might be a notice, notable exception. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know where you're going with this. I, so. I understand how, like, in when you're first writing a pilot, you don't have all of the end game down. Sure, yeah. Like, not even thumbnail sketch, because you might not even be picked up. You might not even get out of second season. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like at some point at the end of season three, season four, where they've had the red wedding, they've had the purple wedding, they've had the big plots in the books that they really were looking forward to nailing. Why they wouldn't then at that point take a long off season and just like you know what let's get the arcs for the uh, the next the, like let's 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 at least outline the end of this series so we hit everything just right and y- because and, I and- think
1: they were expecting George to to get there to cross the finish well, line that, before they you're, did.
0: you're late enough in the game that I think you're a little <laughs> foolhardy there but you know what I'm saying like, I, agree, I, I yeah. don't understand why they don't, they, don't they, they prefer to just come in every season with a clean slate and I think a lot of 5 and 7 mm-hmm. yes ultimately the blame uh, goes to George for not finishing the story but a lot of 5 and 7 are the results of them making decisions that they couldn't get out of and they had to mm-hmm. roughly traverse a bunch of shitty Dornish terrain to get to where they wanted to go but yeah, I have a hard time picking a favorite between one, three, four, six. They're they're really. I mean, this is a ridiculously good television show. People, it is. Um, and you know, I wish that it had been an adaptation straight through. But you know what? We don't we don't get everything we want. Can we move on to f- feedback now? Or yeah, let's do it. Before we move on to the rest of the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, of course, we've got. One more season seven podcast, a spoiler podcast that comes out later this week. Uh, I've got an interview segment that we'll be talking with Kim Renfro, our buddy from The Insider, uh, about uh, our our thoughts of the season and like uh, theories and speculation uh, without being contaminated by the leaks that we're going to be looking forward to. That's going to be fun. Uh, Season two coverage, retrospective coverage of Game of Thrones starts next week with the first episode of season two where you'd think it would <laughs> uh also starting this week is cecily and i's coverage of the american horror story cult season yeah that's gonna be fun uh mr uh sorry mr stranger things uh, stranger things we're gonna be doing a retrospective of season one in the month of september yeah leading I'm up for that leading up to the season two premiere going to the is it the upside down or the never never the never upside
1: down Never Upside Down, yes. not
0: once. That's the name of the realm in Stranger Things. Oh, right? it's the Upside Down, yeah. Okay, the Demi dim, the dimmy, the dimmy Gorge.
1: Uh, the, yep, the Demi
0: Gorger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also are going to be returning with Mr. Robot and The Walking Dead coming back on October. And sprinkled throughout, you got Bald Move Television, Bald Movies, tons of club stuff. There's always something going on at baldmove.com. Don't think that you're off the hook just because Game of Thrones is dashing off into the sunset. Uh, also, real quick because I know we've had lots of other housekeeping and ads and stuff. But also, don't forget about Club uh, Bald Move. It's at club.baldmove.com. You get lots of bonus content. If you like what we do, it's a it's a way to get our stuff faster with more visual flair and with less ads and just straight up bonus content. Lunch with Jim and Aaron, quips, um, video game playthroughs, all kinds of little interesting, unique. Plus. Heading into holiday season, we always do a, a, like an extravaganza for Christmas. Yeah. We do like a full month December. Television's slowing down, so let's just let our hair down and and, and do some crazy crowd-pleasing stuff. It's a great time to join the club. It gives, it's, a, it's a good gift that you can give mm-hmm. if you can figure out a way to give it. Is there a way to give it as a <laughs> no, gift? No. We need to work up that campaign before Christmas. Yeah, that's Christmas. If you can't stock your stuffing with the club, then I so why am I even doing this? Club.BaldMove.com. All right, Derek C., uh, wanted a correction. I mentioned you asked me on the on the spot where White Harbor was, and I said it was on the west coast of Westeros. I thought it was in Blazewater Bay. There's this like really sharp, daggery looking bay that cuts into the neck, and I thought sure that's where it was. Derek said that it's actually on the east coast of Westeros, just northeast of Moat Kalen. So that'd be okay. a very quick and easy sail from King's Landing. Yeah. It wouldn't have to you know, go around the entire continent like I supposed. Uh, also makes sense. That's why it'd be a, a prosperous port because it's the main. It's the the thing that connects all the luxuries of the south to the austerity of the north. Uh so yeah, big big fuck up by me there. Uh, Adam L or Adam M. How would you feel if Game of Thrones took one of their final episodes and devoted entirely to the White Walkers through time, a la Lost Across the Sea episode about Jacob and the Man in Black? Whew. Given that you guys have brought up a few times that you'd like to see the White <laughs> Walkers background to make them an interesting villain. Would devoting an entire episode be something you'd prefer, or would it ultimately be a waste because of the inevitable backlash it would get due to stealing scene time from a character as we've known,
1: uh, come to know, and love and hate? Uh, If we had two more seasons left, maybe I'd say, okay, go for it. But Uh with six episodes, to take one sixth of the season and devote it entirely to the backstory of some characters that we really just need sketches of right I, I don't i don't know that we need to actually fill in all the details about the white walkers right um I, i'd be okay with just understanding a little bit more about them which you could do with a few scenes interspersed through several episodes
0: so i'm gonna steal an idea from another show we've done uh the walking dead Do you remember the debacle when they went back and like did the governor's backstory mm-hmm. they had, like three episode governor arc and nobody wanted yeah Uh, we had talked about, like, would that have been better if that was a series of, like, ten-minute cold openings? That, like, they told his backstory, juxtaposed with the current events, and it all came together to some kind of climax. That's the key. It has to come
1: together. I'm I'm, I'm thinking,
0: like, what if they did, like, a ten-minute cold open about the Night King's history that opened up every one of the six episodes that we're going to get, and then they're they're essentially... It's kind of a little bit the film memento, where... You've got one narrative running this way, and the other run a narrative, and they mm-hmm. they collide in the final, and some kind of yeah s- to teach us satisfied yeah right
1: something about ourselves the or give tragedy us insight of, into humanity yeah. right
0: right right like I could see that working yeah
1: sure because they got
0: it like you know th- this goes to like you know me wanting to avoid these giant asterisks of well this is awesome but like you know the ultimate asterisk is if George just cops out and makes the night king be this implacable, mm-hmm. totally evil. Non-rational actor that the villains that that the heroes have to overcome. That's not very Game of Thrones. It's the Lord of Rings thing that he said he didn't want to do. Now it could be that he makes it turns out that this is a sideshow and that the meat is going to be the uh, combined armies of the living confronting the the corrupt Lannisters, Mm -hmm. who are now. I mean. You know, that's the other thing that All Shift X's video made it clear to me is like everyone we care about or give a shit about or is important to the plot is in the north with the exception of Cersei, Kybern, the mountain, and Euron. So, like,
1: okay, loosely defining the word care about, but, <laughs> well, but you know, they the have to have like, the, yeah, these people yeah, have yeah. to have ends. They're important, They're to, important to the plot. Apply, yeah. So, like, it
0: really shows that, you know, that, that I guess that's the. That's the counterpart to that argument. If the real story is going to be the defeat of Cersei, it seems like, I mean, maybe this uh, Golden Company is going to be a little bit of like, uh, you know, making it a game, you know, making it a good game because mm-hmm. now Cersei's got this injection of fresh. But I I don't I'm I'm really starting to think that it's not going to be likely that Euron comes back with the Golden Company and helps Cersei out. Like yeah. what does he needs? What does Cersei give him at all? Now he's. It went from she's got the army, I got the navy, and she's got the money to now I've got the navy, I've got the army, I've got all of her money. All she's got is a swollen stomach and a dark castle. Mm-hmm. So fuck all that <laughs> noise. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I could. I I, I think a whole care a whole ninety minute episode about the Night King and his pathos, and too his, much. The teenage years <laughs> and his bad poetry. That that that's a bit much. But maybe they can do something cool. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany V. Hey, I keep hearing you guys say that we aren't getting the last Game of Thrones season for another year and a half. Uh, that we have to wait until 2019. Where is your source for this? I can't find anything that is actually stating that. Most of what I see says late 2018, maybe early 2019. Thanks, guys. I mean. You're reading the same source as I am. Um, mm-hmm. Here's how the logic goes. In the last three seasons, it's taken somewhere between nine months and 11 months to turn around uh, the series from the time filming begins to the episodes airing. All right? Now, the other thing that I kind of blew my mind when I was researching the answer to this is we since mid-July, it's been known that the, the scripts for season eight are done. Uh, and hmm. they're, they're turned in and they're actually just blocking it out. And that, that like in, in late July, early August, they were actually blocking the scenes to give to directors to, you know, so they can go out location and start filming. Uh, there's an interview with Nikolai, uh, Costa-Wildo that says that he was planning to go back to work in October, which is also like, I guess it's like a 68 week window between the, the actors getting their scripts and going to work in October, which means, Scripts could start leaking as early as like tomorrow, <laughs> right. essentially, because yeah. like the first actors are probably going to be getting like the you know, that the the uh the uh, Peter Dinklages and the Kit Harrington's and Amelia Clarks of the world are going to start getting their scripts very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you take that math, the nine to 11 month of math, the beginning of filming in October, that gives you a July 2018 to September 2018 timeline, but. The other rumor is they're flirting with making all these episodes feature-length, which they've never done before. And also, the interviews say that there's just a truly preposterous amount of VFX in these final episodes. I bet. Yeah. So that, like, you start getting to where if you don't hit October no one release like game of thrones is not going to be released in november no. like there is a dead there is a dead zone from beginning of november to essentially mid to late january where you will not just like hbo is not going to release anything
1: like new yeah new new series um yeah, right. they they typically try and and place it so that nothing is airing over christmas right because people don't watch it just, tv as much it, during it, christmas
0: yeah it, it just throws a big monkey wrench into it yeah. so um, it could, like, I could see it coming back. Like, it, it, I mean, it could come out next summer. It could. But there's just a lot of, like, people hinging their bets and saying, eh, I don't, wouldn't count on it. I'm thinking that, like, it's more late. And if it goes late, then every, every, the later it gets, the more HBOs is going to push it to next year.
1: That's the thing. I, when you say early 2019, that is a year and a half. Right. Roughly from now. Right. But if, if it's, middle I mean, this,
0: if it's middle, if it's, if it comes out in July, like, if, like, the best estimates come true.
1: Well, I, I, I mean, the emailer said late 2018, early 2019 is what she's hearing, right? So, right, <laughs> that is a year and a half. That so, is a little bit longer than. And, and here's another break.
0: meta: like, so far, um, uh, Westworld is slated to go into that like season one, True Detective, late winter slot. Mm-hmm. So, if, so now you start putting your meta hat on. No fucking way, Game of Thrones is going to be scheduled. On Sunday night with with Westworld. No. So if Game of Thrones slips into 2019, it could be like back into its old slot of spring. No oh boy. You know. Yeah, you're looking at like April. Because that's the thing. If it either comes out in 2018, like late summer, early fall, or it's not going to come out till the spring, unless they bump Westworld, which mm-hmm. why the hell would they do that? Westworld's a massive show too,
1: or Westworld takes longer. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's the thing about Westworld. It's also moving. I've heard good so. things about it, though. Yeah. So
0: that's this. It's like it's it's. I don't have an inside source. This is just me synthesizing, and I am a pessimist. I I'm a cynic. I prepare for the worst, and I occasionally get pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Much better than always hoping for the best and constantly being disappointed. Uh, Kyle J, although you tend to steer clear of contemporary geopolitical comparisons in Game of Thrones, one that both the show and books could well be an excellent metaphor for is the climate uh, that of climate change and the public political will to do anything about it. While Vox did an excellent cross comparison of the following uh, of, of this following the conclusion of season 5, the collation has only grown stronger as the emphasis on the Night King and the coming threat beyond the wall has increased along with the character's awareness and acceptance of the reality of this threat. While I have previously commented on the stupidity of the plan to capture the White to prove to the Cersei the reality of this threat, as you predicted, she didn't care. The contemporary comparison I see is that even with more than 97% of our contemporary maesters slash scientists stating that climate change is real and the threat is, uh, real, in addition to the long-term consequences of an action... Yet, though they have provided proof and moreover prudent steps that could be taken to address this global threat, many of our political leaders continue to insist
1: that climate change isn't real. Bill Nye has got a plan to go north and get part of an iceberg (laughs) and bring it south. I think it's a stupid plan because icebergs melt down here. Sure, sure. Anyway, but. He seems to think it's a good idea.
0: Uh, well, wait, wait. If what if he gets an ice dragon to fly back super fast? Then yes, and to breathe and the breathe ice fire on it, so it keeps it cold. The refrigerated. Okay, I'd be convinced. Ice white, if you would. Uh, they are intent on ignoring it, and are moreover, willing to align with short-term gains over long-term human sustainability and ultimately survival. Again, unlike not unlike Cersei. Hence why the Night King, White Walkers, and Army Dead is the ultimate threat to the people Westeros, regardless of house, so too is climate change the ultimate threat of the people of Earth, regardless of nation. For both cases, time is not on our side. Um, well, I mean, you're exactly right. And also, George Martin endorses this view of his, of his works. Like, it's not – con- he, he did not contemporaneously sit down in the mid-'90s to write a cautionary tale about global warming. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: It's more – it's more of humanity's inability to confront common threats in sure. any kind yeah. of scale to to matter so mm-hmm. um that 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 means like this could be you could substitute this to be uh you know uh if if mankind what can mankind do about the threat of uh, acid rain what can mankind do about the threat of the ozone layer what can like the i'm 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 throwing out like uh climate disasters in my lifetime that i've seen humanity um accept and but they, the thing that's different about this that and like global warming is it is it is bizarre to me to see the links of which people uh, will go to deny it like, there back when there was a hole in the ozone layer, there wasn't, like, I don't, maybe the hairspray industry just wasn't strong enough, but people weren't being yeah. like, uh, <laughs> we need more research to see if this hairspray is actually <laughs> eating the ozone. It's like, oh shit, Australia's fucked, we gotta stop this. Uh-huh. Same thing with acid rain, like, you know, 400 year old statues are being melted in Rome, what the fuck are we doing? Like, we gotta fucking scrub these uh, coal stacks and shit, and like, I I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I do guarantee that I will get dozens of hate mail uh, messages sure. for yep. reading this shit, and, you know, a bunch of people swear off to listen to our show, so... Mm-hmm. And so it goes. And so it goes. Zach T. from Canada. Everyone agrees that the plan to capture uh, a white is stupid, but at, the, at least the people who came up with that plan are human and fallible. We're also meant to believe that the Lord of Light deity also thought this plan was a good idea since he provided the vision which sent the Hound and the Bear oh, no. and the Bears to join the plan.
1: Here we go. Are you going to try and tell us
0: what the Lord of Light's plan is? This is, uh... <laughs> this is, uh... Like, either God is all-powerful, all-knowing, or all-loving. Pick one. Checkmate,
1: Christian. No. Um, <laughs> no, it's just like... It- Okay, this may be part of a larger plan. Like we don't know the motivations of the Lord of Light. So that's what he's asking. It's yeah. like,
0: "Do you, which of this these three of his uh, possibilities do you subscribe to, Jim? The Lord of Light is equally as dumb as John Tyrion slash Danny. Uh, he sent them there to protect the other fools venturing north of the Wall, or." Uh, could the Lord of Light maybe be working with the bad guys? Are the Lord I... of Light and the Night's King two sides of the same coin, both working towards the same still unknown end?
1: Man, I put a giant question mark over this whole thing because we don't know. It's not like I can guess what the Lord of Light wants and how he's going to get there. Right. Like, even if I knew what he wanted, I can't guess how he's going to direct events to get there because right. it, he could be setting up chess pieces that I can't even fucking see, right. let alone know how they're going to move. So question mark, I don't fucking know.
0: <laughs> I mean I think the fact this this uh lord of the light would be as stupid as our main characters you can dismiss that. <laughs> um and also I guess I would dismiss I mean I again um I'm a little more open to the lord of light actually being the the other side of the great other because that's kind of like a yin and yang dark mm-hmm. and light side like that's a, that's a fantasy concept that is well worn. Mm-hmm. and kind of tropey To the extent that like if if Martin just straight up does it like that like I don't it doesn't seem to do much of his advancing the state of fantasy art, which is kind of what he consciously set out to do with Game of Thrones. Like, I yeah. I, I want... Or, I'm sorry, Song of Ice and Fire. I want to... I, I Like, George... You know, Tolkien did the definitive high fantasy adventure. I want to now add a little bit of realism and modernism to it mm-hmm. and subvert all these tropes. So it's probably going to be more the third option, but... Is it going to be like you know literally the light and dark side of the force, or is it going to be something more interesting than that?
1: Yeah, because it seems like that's been done.
0: Or you know, like I, I keep coming back to like some possibility where there is there is a magical force that is not animate and is not uh, yeah. is not intelligent. It expresses it is it's expressed by the people who wield it for either good or evil. Right. So then you look at the human agents like. You gotta then you start gotta ask yourself, is the Night King evil? Is Bran evil? Is Melisandre evil? Uh is Miri Maz Durr, the witch that killed Drogo, is she evil? Like those are the questions that are interesting to ask, because they're all using the same roughly same energy field or whatever. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly.
1: That's 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 <laughs> that's, that's your where head I, cannon, right? that's like,
0: that's where I'm thinking it might go down. But yeah. again, like Jim says, it's a big question mark. Uh Brian C. I watched the finale again and had some thoughts about Tyrion. I've not completed the books, but here are some of my thoughts. His character has been great because he's witty, perceptive, and smart. That said, his last piece of strategic or truly great strategic work was at the Battle of, of the Blackwater,
1: which is why I love that season so much, yeah.
0: Yeah. Now in, and see and that's why you the, the books easy it's even better. Like yeah. I mean that's oh, uh, like he actually has a couple more tricks that yeah. he plays in the Battle of Blackwater that are are pretty mind-blowing. Uh, Now in the season finale, he's completely played by Cersei, including the one-on-one where she purposely signals to Tyrion her pregnancy. So unless I'm mistaken, his value add as Daenerys' hand has been lacking for some time. I also understand that Tyrion is cited as Gurm's favorite character when he's asked during Q&As at conventions. But why? Beyond his cleverness, is it because of his flashes of brilliance combined with humanity to make mistakes? Uh, He wants us to take the measure of Tyrion's character at this stage... And think whether this perspective on his character matches our thoughts of his character arc and our expectations, mm-hmm. or whether the double Ds have mishandled him.
1: Um, I certainly think early on, like even even beyond season two, um, that he. I mean, he is he is very smart. He's very witty. He's very mm-hmm. charming. He. Um, does have a fairly good strategic mind. Mm-hmm. I just think he has gotten out of out of his depth a little bit, right? Um, in in this last season. And I, I'm not actually sure why. I, I think it's because he's blinded a little bit by you know his feelings about his family. But right. I'm not certain of that. Like right. I, I don't know that the show did a i put like such a firm stamp on it. Right. Last last season. I think this
0: might be another place where the Double Ds are left bereft of a roadmap that they could really use because at the end of Dance, Tyrion is still just now coming out of his drunken woe is me. Uh, George Martin's got to show me the depths of the, to which a character can sink to before he can continue his art kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's, it's it's tough. to. There, I, I guess what I'd say is the Double Ds are trying to triangulate you know, a couple of triumphant Tyrion bullet points from the, you know, kind of low and debauched and depressed state that Tyrion's in in the books and and trying their
1: best. But uh, but they're all getting uh, just essentially trampled over by Jamie. Well, and I wonder if that's what they're trying to do yeah. is set up the idea that, you know, Tyrion fancies himself as a very intelligent, very clever person, right. but jamie has been through a lot of shit, right. and jamie has been on the battlefield, and he knows how these things work, and right. he's actually better at it than Tyrion is, though Tyrion thinks he's, that he himself is better. Right. Well, it's also there's, like,
0: this thing about, like, smart people, even very smart people tend to fight the last battle. Like, you know, mm, you get yeah. the military leaders that came out of the last war and they're the best at killing and avoiding being killed. And like in the 40s and 50s, they're like, oh, the next war is probably going to be fought with tank battles against threats of nuclear war on the plains of Europe. Right. And then they get embroiled in a series of low-intensity conflicts in the jungles, deserts, and mountains of the world. And like, fuck. Yeah. What do we do with all these Abrams? And, you know, like these these no longer fit the kinds of missions. And I think there's a little bit of... Tyrion is trying desperately to avoid political situations that he himself lived through and saw his kind of rip apart his family and is kind of caught flat footed in a new world where, you know, you have to maybe risk everything to do to to save humanity because that's Mm -hmm. what's what the stakes are. And he's reluctant to do that because
1: when he's seen that blow up in people's faces. So I mean, as far as his character, yeah, I can I can certainly see why you would criticize him and say maybe he's not as smart um, and as strategically clever as he thinks he is. Uh, but I, I feel like I know why George Martin is, like, the, he says Tyrion's his favorite character. Right. It's probably the most fun to write for. Right. I have to imagine. He's got the best language. He's got the best scenarios. Like Characters He's doing all the fun fuck. stuff.
0: Characters that don't give a fuck are the best, and yeah. Tyrion, you know, can't afford to give a fuck, or mm-hmm. he would be paralyzed. So, like yeah no he's he's he gets all the best snark um mm-hmm. you know, but he's also he you know he's got all these natural limitations and frustrations that make him approachable and human yeah you know if he was in
1: Jamie's body, he'd probably be an insufferable prick and fun to write for right it, yeah, it's yeah. texture to his character right. that able bodied or i i mean not even able bodied he's able bodied he's just got a smaller body right um that i guess characters without his disadvantages don't have you
0: mm-hmm. know <laughs> um all right, so I think we talked enough about Tyrion. Let's move on to John H.M. Should we be concerned that Sansa did not swing the executioner's sword on Littlefinger after passing the sentence? I'm not sure if the younger <laughs> Starks got that lesson from Ned, including yeah. the girls, but does this even matter?
1: They took a lot of lessons from Ned, and that wasn't one of them, apparently.
0: You know, it's interesting, because that, I think that's a fair point, because Ned put a lot of, like, you know... I I the man who sw- passes a sentence should swing the sword. You should not be like I don't believe in headsmen because you shouldn't be spared the consequences of your decisions. Yeah. Um. And it gets thorny when you're talking about you know, essentially his little girl sitting on the throne because, you know, there there is the uh there's the unspoken like patriarchy that underpins this whole world. The fact that like Ned Ned would never expect his daughters to swing swords, pass sentences, or do any of that shit. Yeah. Um. Now. I think it's interesting that like I wonder if they're trying to get at the fact that first of all do the double D's even care like there's very little evidence that they're sweating this like oh god wait wait a second we just had someone give a give a sentence and they didn't swing a sword this is a violation of Stark Pre- prime directive what the hell like I don't even hmm. think they're thinking of that but that's a shame if they are is it possible they're suggesting that they got like a little Stark Voltron situation going here Like (laughs) the Stark's R one unit, yeah, like like like, like, and because 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 you know if if I know anything about literary artists, they love this shit. Like this, the their Christ imagery and their Trinity figures, and the fact that Mm -hmm. like Arya, Sansa, and Bran, even though very limited and unable to be Ned, in Ned's role in society, if they came together, you know, like like Sansa, like Arya is literally Sansa's sword. Um and you know Bran is Ned's wisdom and his centeredness and groundedness and self and like you know this and Sans is the one that coordinates all this. I I, I think that's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I Sans is the so. black
0: lion in this situation. I don't know how well that sits with me, but
1: I mean it works with the theme. You know that that lone wolf yeah. versus the pack theme right. that yeah. they've got going. I guess that does work. Um, and it could in a certain from a certain point of view. There're no obvious true.
0: alpha wolves here, yeah. Which, by the way, is a discredited animal theory anyway. But there's no obvious alpha wolves here. But so they all the pack has to come together and mm-hmm. wear the different hats that, that they need to survive. Yeah, I, I like that idea. But I guess I'm not, I'm not too worried about Sansa. Like, the, I, so I guess the real question is: Are they? Is the show trying to tell us something that Sansa done fucked up because she didn't swing the sword? I, I don't right. think. I don't think the answer is yes. I don't think so either. Um, Andrew. O, where do you guys think that John and Danny's story should go and how it should end? I still think they should both survive the series, and I think there's four major options. Danny dies in childbirth, like her mother, and John's mother, and John looks after the baby. John dies, and Danny lives to have their baby, uh, and they rule Westeros together. They both live and rule the Seven Kingdoms, or decide family is more important than ruling and decide to live on Dragonstone. That's a distinct 3A and 3B, sir. I think you now have five options. They both die, and the baby's looked after by the Starks. Um, or five, <laughs> uh, they both die, and Cersei's baby sits on the throne, or one of them lives yeah. and babysits Cersei's baby, and there's, uh, two and a half men, I do Um, mm-hmm. do you have any idea, like, do you have any, any okay, let me ask you this, do you think John and Danny have any chance of surviving this?
1: Both of them? Yes. Yeah, I think they have a chance. Wow. I don't think okay. it's a very good one. Okay. But, I... that's I don't think there's no way they both survive you know like do they do does one of them have to die no
0: see I think I uh, to me when I think of like George Martin's frequent commentary that the ending of the song of ice and fire will be bittersweet Mm. that implies that this and and this that implies that somebody gonna have to die Mm -hmm. um to, so that others may live, and that's that's the bittersweet part of it. Or it could be that, you know, but um, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess I've always believed there's just no way Danny and John can both survive the series. That's my that's my bias because to me that mm-hmm. was
1: that's just an unabashed happy ending. Like yeah. who's I, I don't know. I mean, we could lose Tyrion. We could lose, um, like. But but how, does, and how does gray worm? And how like,
0: do, like like Tyrion dying would be a bummer, but it doesn't. Inf- I don't
1: think it adds bitterness nor sweetness to the ending. I think it would. It would be bitter for me. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't want Tyrion to be killed at the end of this.
0: Huh. Huh. I never thought of it that way. To, to me, I always view bittersweet as the. I guess who's sitting on the Iron Throne if there is an Iron Throne and what sacrifices to make to get there.
1: Um, I mean, what if like. I mean, Winterfell I, is destroyed, and or, Sansa or, or, and Arya and Bran are killed, or but... Arya
0: sacrifices herself to save John and John and Daenerys. So I guess that because John, I mean, that's the thing, that's the one, that's the one meetup we haven't seen, the John and Arya one, because you know they were, uh, they they had a special kind of connection as the black sheep of their family, mm-hmm. um, and I was really looking forward to that, and I didn't get to this year, so I mean, yeah. maybe that'd be bittersweet.
1: I I don't know. I mean, I I guess you're probably right. The chances are it's more likely that one of them is going to die than they both survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know a lot of the story has been telling us that. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't I don't think it has to happen, but I think it's it's likely one of them is dead.
0: I also think it's unlikely that both of them die but maybe yeah. maybe especially if we're going to this democracy thing which by the way to there was a, himself for it a, the, over on r slash asioaf whatever it is uh, a song of ice and fire th- subreddit there was a lot of angry threads about like denouncing the idea that there would be some form of democracy in Westeros at the end of this and i just want to chime in and like most of these people were being fucking stupid and sen- essentially like there will be a u.s style democracy
1: with the Constitution. No, and, you dumb fucks. Uh, That's tw- like,
0: like, Jesus fucking Christ. Someone go back and tell the Greeks that they were doing democracy wrong or <laughs> right. the Roman Republic. There's so many different types of democracy you can have. Uh-huh. And there's, there's, there's historical evolutionary baby steps towards, like, the full representational democracy that we kind of sort of have in this country. And they have it in various other countries and different configurations around the world. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But I think I. I also think you're being super stupid by thinking there's going to be an iron throne at the end of all this. And hmm. but you know whatever. I guess we could just hate each other forever. That's know. the bittersweet end. That's the bittersweet ending. The the bitter divisions between the legions of double D and Germ fans are going to fight tirelessly when this is all said and done. Probably. Okay. Uh, Dana K. We talked about this in the spoiler edition, but I know a lot of people don't listen to that, so I want to talk about it in this one, too. She says, uh, Dana K. said, I didn't write in to correct it because I thought a lot of other people would, uh, but you said on multiple occasions now, in A Dance with Dragons, this is the text. She's talking about Danny's bleeding or lack thereof. Hmm. Uh, she was bleeding, but it was only her woman's blood. The moon is still a crescent, though. How can that be? She tried to remember the last time she had bled. The last full moon, the one before, the one before that? The no, one that? It cannot have been so long as that. I am the blood of the dragon," she told the grass aloud. <laughs> I propose <of> nothing. <laughs> I'm the dragon. You fucking as I'm bleeding grass. on you. Um, remember that. So Dana says, "I saw so- I'm coming back for you." <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like she missed a period or two. That's why so many have speculated, probably rightly, that she's at this point having a miscarriage. Which okay, that's kind of interesting itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I I assume that she was just all shut down there, and Dana has set me straight. So, um. I guess it is possible that the infer- infertility thing has just all been all in her head the whole time. Although, Danny has a lot of sex in both the series and the books. It's true. Completely unprotected, because they didn't roll that way in, in Westeros, and she hasn't been drinking moon tea, so... I mean, that's kind of evidence that a young woman having a bunch of sex doesn't get pregnant. Hmm. Or... Does- yeah, uh- <laughs> The Valerians had the, the rhythm system. It was Valerian Steel right. and the rhythm system that were lost in the Doom of Valeria. Dario doesn't strike me as a pull-out kind of guy. Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no he is not. he's not the, the, the pull-out king. Nope. Uh, Patrick you questions. Or question, do you think the Double Ds listen to your podcast? Answer, <laughs> no. Moving yeah,
1: on. definitely not.
0: Um, they actually, uh, so he has a couple questions about, like, you know, since we are one of the larger Game of Thrones podcasts, and they've got, they've run this giant multi-million dollar enterprise, they have to get fan feedback somehow. Reddit. Yeah, I mean, that's the Reddit's thing. the best place for it. Now, I will say that I've been shocked, because I have talked to people involved in the make, filmmaking process, and I found out that, like, Matthew Weiner... Uh, of Mad Men fame, was aware of some of the theorizations and jokes of our podcast.
1: Mm. and Yeah, we had, like, someone close to him on the production. Yeah, 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 one of the editors. listened to it, yeah.
0: Um, and then we had, uh, when we interviewed one of the, the uh, writer-producers, executive director, or producers of uh, Justified, they mentioned that they listened to some of the... But I think what happens is, you know... The, the kind of below-the-line people um, will listen to the podcast and that stuff kind of... fit Like, the jokes and, like, the positive stuff and maybe something that, that kind of filters through to consciousness because I don't see how... I don't see how the Double Ds or anybody at their level of production can ever get... Go, like, to the primary sources.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I... It's just I'd say much. Reddit Reddit is the best, but I feel like Reddit's the best for fans because, like, if I'm a creator and I go to Reddit, I'm, like, just overwhelmed by the polarization of it all like the, the vicious fighting on both sides of it. Yeah. Um, And that could really bring me down. I feel like if I'm a creator, what I want to do is go to the critics and I want to read like the people who are going to take this stuff professionally and are going to talk about it in a measured way and who are not going to just try to sell their point of view with the most, colorfully hateful language they can.
0: Right. And also, that's a great way to get fan feedback because you know who interfaces with the critics? The fans. Right. And a lot of times that back and forth leaks into their writing on it and they'll mention So, like, there's no need to go to, like, a fan community or a podcast or something when you can... I mean, hell, you can have an executive assistant that just, Mm -hmm. hey, read through the front page of Reddit on Monday, give me the bullet points of what people liked and didn't like. And the other thing is, I think a lot of creatives don't want that feedback mm-hmm. they 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 part of their creative process is is coming up with this in a vacuum, and they don't want to have this like writing by committee going on
1: that's fine, yeah um it, it can it can leave you blind to the things that are wrong with your own show yeah, but...
0: but also it it allows you to do things that are like truly great and out of the box, yeah, because it's not just some consensus and also man, um like if just ten percent of the people on reddit uh, are morons. Uh, you're gonna one out of ten posts is gonna be from some moron. Like there's some bad <laughs> ideas that are highly upvoted on Reddit every day. Mm, yeah. Like your worst nightmare would be a season eight written by the consensus of R slash <laughs> Game of Thrones and R slash ASIOAF. It would WXYZ. Like it would be terrible. So let's all keep that in mind as we're piling on the double Ds. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Paul S. My name is Eddie, and I have a question for the Game of Thrones podcast. Well, you're in the right place, Paul. Although, why is your name Paul S. if your name's Eddie? <laughs> what the fuck? You just outed him. How did that happen? I don't know. All right, Eddie, let's, let's try to get through this together. Let's see if we can kind of find a bittersweet end to this, this email. Any thoughts as to why Jamie Lannister did not take the Lannister army with him at the end of the last season? He is the head of the Lannister house and army, so it have made sense that he would have taken what he, was his when he left. Treating like a divorce with Jamie saying, I'm taking the army with me and you can use your sellswords. Historical leaders of armies have taken advantage of the loyalty of troops... The half for them for their own game. Yeah, I just got done listening to a six-hour uh, Dan Carlin podcast. It's all about Julius Caesar doing that. <laughs>
1: right. Um, I, I think if he tries, he's like, uh, I'm leaving. Right. Are, are you going to have the mountain cut me down? Oh, and also, I'm taking your armies with me. Yeah. She probably does cut him down. <laughs> and it's also a big question about whether
0: the generals, I guess, of the Lannister army would if if the queen was saying, like, I want you to do this, and he was saying, I want to do that, how many would go with him?
1: Yeah, I... Because
0: hmm. the other thing is, like, think of Jamie's reputation in Westeros and, you know, uh, the fact that, like, you know, the rumors around him and his sister and the fact that he doesn't have his hand anymore and that he was the betrayer. Like, I, does he have the kind of reputation, the Julius Caesar-like political
1: ability to use that. I don't know. Also, I don't think I, I don't think that the moment we see Jamie ride out of King's uh-huh. Landing is the moment that Jamie leaves King's Landing forever. A, he's got nothing on him. He's he's wearing his fucking armor. He has no food, he has no water, he has nothing. Mm-hmm. I think he's going out there to collect his thoughts. Like he's very much on this train of I'm leaving and I'm done with this shit. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is like the final the finality of it, right? I mean, he would take something with him. Where's he going? What's he gonna
0: do? See, I thought that was like this. I always thought that the the way he was dressed at the end of this season is him metaphorically taking the black and going north. Mm-hmm. Although I, you know, so to the extent that I haven't even thought about any of this shit, I wonder, you know, because some people wrote in and be like, "Hey, what about the Dorn's army?" I, Do you think one of the reasons they had Jamie going south is so he'd be familiar with Dorner's culture and that he could maybe go and rally your troops down there? That's possible. I don't think it's very possible. No? I think I'm making shit up and putting it out there and seeing what people think of it.
1: I mean, it's possible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it was probable. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think he's just going to go essentially by himself. Because you're Mm -hmm. right. Like, if he took all the Lannister armies, I think that Cersei sends (sighs) them out and... And whatever troop she has loyal, the gold cloaks, and whatever troop she has loyal in the golden company, to the and and find Jamie, and destroy him. And I think Jamie knows that. Like he walked out of King's Landing with his life, and that was just barely. Yeah. So he knew not to push his luck. Now is that sad? Because you. But 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 Jamie's not Julius Caesar. That's the thing. Like I don't think you can plug him in and say he would command. Like he's not a George Washington type. He's not a Julius Caesar type. He's not. I mean, a fucking yeah. Think Alexander. of his reputation. Right. Right. Yeah. He's the Kingslayer. Right. He's an oath breaker. He's he's sleeping with his sister because that's an open secret in the court and everyone kind of knows about it. and Makes japes behind his back. Like yeah, yeah. It's hmm. I, I don't know that he has that kind of that kind of military clout. Maybe not. Um, Josh B. This is a good question. Do you guys have any idea why no character has so much as mentioned wildfire? It seems to me the most obvious and viable weapon against the night army. Is it off the table and I missed it? If not, John clearly articulated the two ways to kill whites. Dragonglass, which at best kills one at a time, must deployed by people whom you risk adding to the white army, and also fire. Um... This is a bit strange to me, considering the wildfire has already been used twice to handily handedly destroy seemingly insurmountable threats. Both efforts of which were orchestrated by characters who are still alive, in power, and knowledgeable about the whites and their weaknesses. Do so we have an explanation towards why anyone, particularly Tyrion, is neglecting the billion of pots of white-begone under King's Landing? Or if there aren't any pots left, why every single capable human is not working 24-7 to make more? <laughs>
1: I, that's a damn no, good so, question. So, okay, here, here's – I will admit that maybe Tyrion should have mentioned it. However, where is Tyrion going to get wildfire from? He doesn't know how to make it. He doesn't know anybody who knows how to make it aside from the people at King's Landing yeah. who are under Cersei's control. If they're going to march into King's Landing to get wildfire, they're marching to take King's Landing.
0: You're right. There are There is a class of people known as Pyromancers that were introduced in Season 2 that know how to make wildfire. Right. Um, I don't think they're the only people on Earth that do. Um, maybe you'd have to go over to Esso someplace to get it, but the fact that the fact that it isn't mentioned does bother me because that would yeah, have been because there was a little bit of missing horse trading going on. You know, like I'm, I mentioned this on the show that like I thought it kind of rubbed me the wrong way that John and Danny's right up and be like, hey, "Here's the deal: we have got a ceasefire. It's going to last long enough for us to take care of this threat north, and we're going to come back and unitedly kick your ass." Like, there's. <laughs> nothing that there's no real bone that they're dangling in front of cersei and if they had some like this is part of the parlay like you actually could be a valuable cog and you can you you know king's landing has a secret to making wildfire you might have a trove of it blah blah blah
1: mm-hmm.
0: that I, it kind of bothers me that it's not even part of the plot i think probably the maesters would know how to make it yeah. i assume yeah um, maybe one thing if it's like valerian steel where just no one knew how to make it but yeah why wouldn't the maesters have like detailed files on that kind of they thing? probably do yeah i imagine yeah but no one you know that's something that's uh,
1: maybe sam one of those books is wildfire sure. sam's gonna sure have the dothraki hundred thousand dothraki making wildfire next yeah. season
0: yeah and little 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 clay pots <laughs> uh, then, that's
1: that's just a recipe
0: for disaster that's like <laughs> having a meth lab in your kitchen you're having a bunch of three-year-olds making gunpowder yeah <laughs> you're just asking for something to go like these people have they have no technology they worship a dragon woman <laughs> right. and you're wanting to make highly like tnt uh, good luck um yeah I, I i wish that that was a bit it, it, i wish that was a Something that they would mention because it's you know, on the other hand, I will say that it, I never even thought of it till Josh B wrote in. So maybe it's one of those things where they're just hoping we don't notice.
1: They could um, get the same magician who's making Danny's clothes to make some wildfire,
0: right? Right. Take the guy that's outfitting her in her winter expedition attire, he is meticulous. He is, he is. Um. <laughs> Before we get to feedback, uh, I want to talk about today's sponsors, one of whom is Casper. Now, Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price, and I've been sleeping on a Casper for some years now, since, uh, mm-hmm. I want to say season four is when we got that. Um, and when the box came, I was shocked, because not just at the fair price, but at the, the, the packaging, because like this is a king size mattress that they fit into a box that's roughly like if you took Tyrion Lannister and you mm-hmm. boxed him up for safe shipping. That's like 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 that's exactly Maybe we how ask big Varys
1: how how big this mattress is. It's, it's not even Varys like should be doing this. It's ad.
0: not like even warlock for Essos like box. Like that's like like nope. a quarter of the Man. size of Varys's box and it came with its own little special tool you you, you slice it open it flops out and bam it's a full size mattress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a, a a a unique blend of foam layers for an ideal firmless. It's got
1: just firmless. Firmless? firmless? Is it firmless? It's firmlessness. I don't want a firmless mattress. Yeah. I hope it's not firmless. Well,
0: how would you know? Because firmless is not a real word. Uh, <laughs> it's actually ideal firmness. It has just the right sink ah. and just the right bounce. I like that. I like that. Also, I like that whatever blend they use um, has a really good, like, thermal connectivity. I never mm-hmm. feel like I'm freezing or I'm burning up. Like, it's been super hot and we sleep in a loft at home. Yeah. So, like, that's super important for me. And it's never let me down so far. Um, It's affordable because they sell direct to consumers There's no middleman There's free shipping returns to the US and Canada Mm -hmm. Uh, You get to try it for 100 nights free and no hassle return if not not happy. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, as risk-free as possible,
1: right? Yeah, like... hundred nights on this mattress, and it's free shipping back if you don't like it. Go to a
0: mattress company and tell them you're going to take their mattress home, and mm-hmm. you're going to sleep on it for 99 nights, and then ask them to pick it up if you're not satisfied. You will be laughed out of their brick-and-mortar store. <laughs> you know who won't laugh at you? Mm-hmm. Casper. Yeah. Casper, like, try... that. That's confidence. Uh, it's designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S.A., um if you want to take advantage of this offer it's easy go to casper.com slash got and use the promo code got you got to do them both you got to use the url slash got and use the got code to save fifty dollars off your purchase of a mattress if you're in the market for a mattress it's a great one and again you don't have to take my word for it you can try it for free for up to a hundred days and get your money back it's risk-free uh terms and conditions do apply Go to Casper.com slash GOT and use promo code GOT to save $50 off your
1: purchase of a mattress. We've also got another sponsor today, and that is Sonos. And if you've been listening to the podcast this season, you've heard us talk about them a lot. Um, that is because we think their products are awesome. They are uh, a home audio company, um, home theater audio, I would say. Um, for music lovers. For music lovers, right. That's Is that their slogan? It's th- a it's It's a slogan. It sounds like a slogan, <laughs> uh, and it's a good one, and if not, maybe they should uh, adopt it. But yeah, so basically, um, the way I've got mine set up, and we'll talk here in a second what you can do with this, but the way I've got mine set up, they sent me a Playbase, which is kind of the main unit. Um, that it, It's very much like a soundbar that connects to your TV mm-hmm. um, and gives you... Much, much better sound, even by itself, much better sound than your TV has. Like, I didn't notice Mm -hmm. how bad my TV sounded until I got one of these things, and it just sounds night and day different. Um, I also got shipped uh, Sub, Subwoofer, uh, which connects up to this thing very easily, and two what they call Play Ones, which are essentially satellite speakers, which I'm using for 5.1 setup right now. Uh, The the setup is drop-dead simple. I plug in the Playbase, I download the app, and that's essentially where their quick start guide ends. Mm-hmm. And the app walks you through the rest. It's super simple. You just connect your thing to your Wi Fi, put in your password. And it basically does the rest. It the says, hardest thing
0: you got to do is enter the Wi-Fi password to your network, which, yeah. if it's on the back of your AT&T router, might require you to, 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 Flip to, over. to yeah. look at a label. But you don't have to do that once, because every single piece <laughs> you add to it just automatically handshakes and takes care of everything.
1: Yeah, no, it's super simple. Um, I was really impressed by the setup process. Now, there is another way to configure these things. That's how you've got it set up.
0: Yeah, I got my T V just with the bass and the sub and then I took the satellite speakers and I sprinkled them throughout my house. Just, just sprinkled them. There's yeah. one in the kitchen, there's one in the bat there's one in the bedroom. And what's cool is you can make them you can designate zones in your house and like make a mesh that like all the speakers are on the same page playing the same thing. Or you can have the upstairs one playing music while the downstairs in the kitchen relays the audio from the the tv or you can have something playing in the kitchen while someone's watching tv you can do it and it's it's super easy with using the app you just grab the, the zones and say which ones you want to add to the uh to the mesh and then your house is rocking or everyone's listening to the same thing or something different and they integrate into a lot of your applic- uh, uh, applications yeah. like um uh, it was compatible with my podcast app i was surprised mm-hmm. to see it was compatible to google play spotify, i'm assuming so yeah yep. spotify and itunes all that stuff yeah um pretty pretty sweet package for sure, especially for you know
1: the audio lovers that we know listen to this show,
0: and it looks great too. That's the other thing; yeah. they look like black obelisks in your living room or your your, your bedroom, and all Very they stylish. that's that's the other thing is that all they need is a power cable. Mm-hmm. Um, they you don't have to run speakers to they're
1: wired to auxiliary speakers, or you know you can put your sub wherever it fits. Yep. Um, so, for the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of the Game of Thrones podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less, so you don't have to spend a crazy amount of money to uh, take take advantage of this deal. Uh, that goes for any product on Sonos.com. Uh, this offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. To take advantage of this, use the promo code GOT10, that's capital got T one zero at Sonos.com. To receive this exclusive offer, uh, I love the product. I think Aaron, you also love the product. Um, I would recommend them for anybody who's looking to upgrade their their sound system.
0: Tyler H, I was listening to your 707 Wolf and the Dragon, or the Dragon and the Wolf cast, and you were talking about how dragons were able to take down the ice wall, and how you're confused since you believe that both the ice breath or some other kind of magic beam power. To me, it just seems like he's using blue fire. In previous podcasts, you notice how the dragon fire seems to be so powerful and it acts like an explosion, not just spraying fire everywhere. In 707, cast, you also notice how the dragon seems faster and is able to use continuous fire breathing. So for me, it just seems as though being turned into a white dragon just made it stronger. As both of you know, I'm sure blue, fame, blue flames burn much hotter and have more energy to them than red or orange flames. To me, this seems
1: the Double Ds are suggesting the white dragon is just stronger because of this transformation. I just... I, like, the reason I say we don't... I, I don't think I said we know what it is. Yeah. I think I said we don't know what it is, specifically. Right. Like, it could be magical. It could be blue fire. It could right. be whatever. I, I'm just trying not to put a name on it because we don't
0: know. Yeah. Yeah, blue fire beans. I mean, it... It does seem like... It's clearly
1: like, something that the dragon can shoot that is very powerful enough to take down a wall. And it's consistent with the
0: dragon essentially being on steroids. Sure. You know, it's faster, yeah. it screams louder, it breathes fire twice as long and twice as hot. It's mm-hmm. Dragon 2.0. Um, and I'm cool with just leaving it at that. I don't need to know what it's actually shooting. Willet declares, I'm still upset the way Benjin went out. The there's no time quote was obviously not great, Bob, considering how far away the whites were on the screen. As a first member of the Night's Watch, the show introduced, and a man who has seemingly kept himself alive to save as much of the living for as long as he could, I believe there was better choices. Sure. For example, after saving his second nephew beyond the wall, when John says, come with me, he could have said in a resigned or even relieved tone, Buck my you. watch has ended, oh. and smacked a horse on the ass. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Sure. There again, were a thousand better things he could have said there, but... that That's a weird... That's like... An A story that they did F minus execution, to. <laughs> right? Because behind the scenes, like like when they're talking about like how tired Bingen is of his unlife and how lonely it's been and how he wants a in, a respite to his misery, like that's that's a that's a hell of a plot point to talk about. And it could have been developed in his conversations with Bran and seen to fruition with John. And they just maybe
1: didn't. his there's no time is there's no time to explain why I'm gonna stand here and die. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, like, I'm just too sick
0: and tired of life.
1: Right, you can't have a a convo break. I've I've
0: come down to the terminal case of the Goths, and (laughs) I just want to die, so get out of here. This conversation is tedious. Bye. Uh, Michael N. The internet is furious that Theon's strength came from his amputated member, which I think would indeed be very (laughs) stupid. Most are done done with him, and I was right there, too. Um... But his decision to turn things around was reinforced by Jon, Aegon, Targaryen, Snow. His strength in that fight on the beach was evident every time he got back up. He inspired the other Ironborn not by winning the fight, but by showing that there is no ass-kicking that he can't take and still come at you. Theon, Theon stood as a punching bag while his opponent tired himself and had to bend over, hands on his knees to catch his breath. He didn't get strength or superpower when needing the crotch. His smile at that <laughs> moment was him choosing... With that, uh, proximity to a tired opponent, opponent to show that he wasn't beaten. The ass-kicking he got on the beach wasn't a grain of sand compared to what Ramsay did to him. There's nothing anyone can do to Theon at this point that could come close to his torture inflicted by Ramsay Bolton. That's a superpower. Unbelievable, bottomless depths of resilience. He's unbeatable now. At the hands of Ramsay, Theon is finally ironborn.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, and they... Uh, that's another thing that Off-Shift X did I thought was good. that He contrasted Theon's essentially bullshit baptism in Season 2 with this episode, where after he won, he staggered to the water and like, spl- like baptized himself, like now. Right. And that, again, maybe the execution could have been better, because, you know, what is the Ironborn's creed? Like, you know, we don't sow, and also what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. Like, mm-hmm. Theon was living that in the moment of that scene, which is one of the reasons I've come around to liking it. But you liked it from the beginning. I just feel like it was – I don't know. It's not a good look to have him slammed in his crotch and he just grins like an idiot.
1: Yeah, and to say that that is not him using his newfound superpower uh, – I I think is a little disingenuous. They knee him in the balls, non-existent balls, three times. Right. And he grins up at the guy, clearly unfazed by it. It's not because he has some mental resilience here. I don't care how fucking headstrong you are. You get kneed in the crotch as a dude and you're going down. Yeah. If if (laughs) this dude the size of the mountain is kicking you in your (laughs) balls. I do think Michael in here is essentially
0: providing color commentary for a better version of the scene that we watched. Uh um because you're right. Like that is played in that moment for yes. his superpower is he has no balls. That was a that was a that was played for comedy, yeah. which is part of the problem the scene. I agree and with I, I'm you. I'm coming
1: around on it that I don't actually think it's acceptable as a scene like yeah. that it's not good but there again uh, i think in, that in that one moment but yeah um i think everything else it does for theon's character is so worthwhile yeah no that but, it's easy that, to that, overlook that one miss
0: that's that's a solid a concept that the execution yeah. really because because even leading up to that the you know john's speech of forgiveness and the fact that it works equally well for theon and and john's impending discovery that he's half targaryen like there's a lot of really quality, uh, meticulous writing in there that then they decided to jettison in favor of a kick to the gro- groin joke. And and to be fair, this isn't something new. Like, mm. we have long commented on how much fun the Double Ds like. With their fart jokes. With their fart and their... jokes and their ball jokes and their eunuch jokes. They yep. really fucking have the mind of a 11-year-old boy writing some of this shit. Sure. And that, uh, I
1: think that's a tough scene to write to convey the message that you want to convey, which is yeah. Theon has been through so much, um, and it has taught him lessons. And his conversation with Jon about not having to choose who he, you know, whether he's a Stark or a Greyjoy, um, he can synthesize those and become his own man. I, I think it's really hard to convey that without going back to his history in some way that's very, very obvious in
0: that moment. I mean, would it be hokey if, like, in between beatings, he did like kind of like the Anigo Montoya chant, except for he said, like, you know, what does dead man ever die, but rises. Like, if he just kept mm-hmm. doing that throughout the whole fight and is slowly kind of unnerved slash inspired Ironborn? Maybe, Maybe. Look at me, uh, I'm writing fan fiction I, again. Yeah, I
1: think the one thing you can't do in that scene is have him suddenly be ultra-competent at fighting. Right. You need some way for him to get the upper hand on this guy that isn't just, he's, like... He's got his head in the right place, so he's magically an awesome fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do that. Although I, I – that contradicts what I said, that I think they've done
0: enough to show that Theon's a pretty good fighter, mm-hmm. that he is just traumatized and, like, paralyzed by his mm-hmm. inability to act. Now, again, like, I still – like, let's, let's say that, that Jon gave his magic, uh, you know, you don't have to choose speech between uh, – the like, like, like be right before Euron stormed the deck. I mm-hmm. said, I think that Theon goes at Euron. He's going to get his shit ripped in half. Yeah, but yeah, he's done for. Certainly. So that, I guess that goes to the thing: is like this is, you know, my my cre- my credulity has limits to what Theon can accomplish, just because he's been tortured to the point he don't give a fuck. Yeah, like you know. Maybe you could do the same thing to Tyrion, but he's not going to beat the mountain, right? Like sometimes disparities in force are just you know might you know that's why we say might doesn't make right. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's see. I was list- uh, Rob T says I was listening to season seven main cast, and you were talking about the must have zombie polar bear and how you'd rather have seen that money go into Ghost. Don't you think it was mentioned? Or I don't think you mentioned it. But what about the double Ds using a summer a zombie summer wolf instead of the polar bear? Um, you know, obviously, Summer died tragically protecting Bran in the the tree cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- here's the thing: like, yes, that would have been super fucking crazy and would have disgusted a lot of people. Uh, but the Double D's wanted a fucking polar bear. Yeah, so it's like it's not. I feel
1: like it also would have set us up nicely for the white uh, dragon. Yeah, you're right. It's better all around. Yeah, maybe so. But it doesn't check It doesn't check that box that says white polar bear. Yeah, they wanted a fucking white polar bear. Yeah. That's all
0: they asked. Uh, that and a bunch of bad pussy jokes and eunuch jokes. Uh-huh. Do you think, because one of the things I said is like, hey, maybe the extra turnaround time is going to lead us to have better scripts. And then I read today that the scripts have been turned in like in early July. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little worried, man
1: yeah I'm a worried
0: the thing I was hanging my hat on
1: is the that 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 hat hook is gone my hat has fallen to the floor. I do hope that maybe they're gonna take you know some criticisms of this season and and go back and give an eye to the script and, and say, yet the scripts have already been written yeah 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 <laughs> but can you make changes? Of, of uh, fucking course you can yeah, they haven't shot right, it right, right so right. go back take a look at it and say. Is there anything we're doing, maybe some mistakes we're repeating? Yeah, and that's the thing about
0: this season is like it's hard to tell which points the double D's are like, ugh, we know we're shaky on this, but we're just gonna hopefully make it cool enough that people will look past it because we're dealt a bad hand. Mm-hmm. And what are the things that they thought they told the story like I right. like like I do believe that they think that they've told the story of John mining Dragonglass sufficient that they can arm everyone in the north of Dragonglass and no one's gonna bat an eye. I think they're wrong on that, but I do think, and I'll I believe them on that. I think there's a couple other things like that where they just think they told, like, they thought they told the Winterfell story good enough, whereas a lot of that stuff beyond the wall, I felt like even they knew, hoo boy, this is some shaky shit. Yeah. we're on. So that's the thing, like, which parts of this did they know, like, we, we got dealt a bad hand, or we're going to play it the best we can, and what was just bad ideas in there, and what... They thought they did enough to tell the story, but it didn't come across. Right, And those are things that uh, – who knows? And that, that's the, – the latter things are the things I think they can change. Like, we told this story, but it didn't make it enough on screen, so let's make sure we get those pickup shots, and let's mm-hmm. make sure the editing comes together, and they really we, – we tell the best version of the story we can. Uh, G. My dad mentioned something interesting the other day while we were discussing the season finale. Do you think the final season of Game of Thrones season 7 is a vision of Bran's and not actually happening at the present time? How he's seen the white walkers are going to take down the wall, isn't Winterfell just a day's ride from the wall?
1: Uh I don't I I don't believe that, but I don't really have a reason. I, I mean you're you're asserting something. <laughs> The distance, Uh, and so you need to have some kind of evidence to back it up if you want me to believe it. Uh, I just see no reason to believe that that's true. Yeah, that's the thing. Like,
0: you might because this 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 book ends early with you know the scene of the White Walkers marching south. The first glimpse we saw of a, of a, a zombie white giant. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, Well, this this giant had milky white eyes and we resolved to Bran having milky white eyes and he's seeing, you know, he's like maybe warging or spying on like that's that's all tended to But every time we've seen Bran spy on the Night King, they it had the flock of crows. Right. So like that makes me suspect that other scene a lot less and also if they're trying to tell that's another thing, if they're trying to tell that, like it's it's they're they're doing it very poorly because I didn't yeah. I I didn't get hmm. that from from what they're trying to do. So I, I don't think it's true. Um I do think it's a longer march from Eastwatch to Winterfell like if you want to say it's a day's ride well that's along the King's Road. Hmm. Uh Eastwatch is a lot, you know, there's a lot more wild and wooly terrain between that. So I'm guessing that Jon and Danny are going to be able to arrive at Winterfell just in time
1: before the Night King besieges it. I certainly hope so for Winterfell's sake. Yeah. So Arya can't fight them all off. Uh, but
0: also the fact that like, if Bran can warg into a white, which we have seen no evidence of him being able to do, mm-hmm. displaying that ability would be a red letter event. I don't think it's something that's like, oh, you have to really dig deep to find the meaning of the scene. It's going to be like you know, underlined in red with an exclamation point that oh, he can take over whites because obviously that has a huge implication. Right, if he can take over undead Viserion. You can take over any number of big, big, big high-value pieces in the Night King army. <clears throat> that's, that's that's a bomb, yeah. and I don't think it's been dropped yet. Uh, Nate S., now that Theon is chasing after Yara, do you think Cersei's Golden Company surprise will be spoiled? With, the- with Theon chasing Yara, he's going to quickly figure out they're not heading to the Iron Islands, dot, dot, dot. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Theon's going to find that uh, Euron's heading east? To Essos, and he's going to decide that he would his loyalty to Danny is going to compete with his loyalty to his sister. I could see that being interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, he's. Hmm. I hadn't really thought about the implications of Euron not being at the Iron Islands when Theon's headed there, mm-hmm. but I suppose that would become quite obvious. Right, he shows up, no one's there, Yara's not there. Uh, I I don't know. I assume somebody's manning the Iron Islands at the moment, but yeah. Uh, I just don't know where that goes. Yeah, like, I, I guess he would try and he would have to try and run back and. I mean, tell. And you tell a, a, a compelling story. He's going to
0: ride up with his boat full of twenty Ironborns and be like, "You're on, Britain, Like, there's like
1: just no one's going to be home. Yeah, it's gonna be that Monty Python scene with the French. <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah, we, we just the yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> we're not doing it. Like, even if there's, like,
0: even if there's just got to be a couple thousand ironborn on the islands to repel Theon's little... I would think so, yeah. So I, I don't know how that's going to work. And also, like, I was convinced that Theon surviving the battle and turning craven with uh, Yara was going to allow him to alert Danny the next episode that, you know, something's afoot and you're not going to get... The, that was going to be important, but not, that never... Nothing came of that. Like, to me, this feels like a little bit more intricate than... Of not not from character development from a plot mechanic this feels a little bit more intricate than the double Ds have been doing the last few seasons so mm-hmm. I guess I don't I don't buy it hmm. Kevin C while the episode or the finale was a much needed return to form for the show after a suspect few seasons it's also criticized or crystallized the problem I'm increasingly having with it the show has always tended to overrate the importance of shock value but they seemingly are getting sloppy in their rush to finish Tyrion and Cersei's meeting as well as Arya and Sansa's struggle are examples of this. They skipped a potentially more interesting but less shocking scene of Tyrion convincing Cersei so she could walk out and shock us with a change of heart. They skipped Mm. a potentially more interesting but less shocking scene of Bran telling his sisters about Littlefinger so they could shock us with him being on trial instead of Arya. Uh, They made people act out of character to get us to shocking reveals as if that's their primary goal in telling the story. I hope this is a blip, but I'm concerned the last season will follow this trend even, even worse. Jim, you got a thought. I can tell.
1: I guess I I don't agree with the assessment of Tyrion and Cersei's scene. Uh, that's not what they were doing there. Um, I <laughs> he didn't have to convince her. She was ready to act like she was convinced. That's that's not an interesting thing to convince someone who's gonna right act like they're convinced. Right. Um. The the thing that was happening there is we were being shown that Cersei is pulling one over on Tyrion, mm-hmm. which we were shown. Yeah. I no. I I do kind of agree that they went for shock um on the little finger thing but I thought it worked. Right. Yeah. It really Again, worked for me as a viewer. Like we said
0: there is, you know, it's valid to to frame things for the audience's enjoyment. Yeah. Um that doesn't necessarily mean it's cheap or dumb or it's either, though. I can see you know, I mean so there is a valid criticism here that Game of Thrones has never been about or it shouldn't have been about the giant you know crowd pleasing or crowd shocking moments it's about the plot. but to be honest to be honest the best moments of game of thrones have always been the shocking jaw-dropping spectacle hell yeah like you know Ned's head coming off it's always been it's always the been purple yes, it's wedding been the black it's been blackwater bay it's been the it's been the red wedding it's been the purple wedding it's been the mountain and the viper like yeah I think it's highly disingenuous to say that people watch Game of Thrones because it's a tight political boiler pop. Boiler. It is also that. It is times, also that yeah. and that's what makes I think the reason Game of Thrones is so successful is it tricks people that that this is snooty highbrow entertainment while still delivering big blockbuster thrills and yeah, it does that okay. it does that fairly well. Now, mm-hmm. it is a good question to ask like in the last two seasons if there's if there's not as much tight political potboiler and there's a lot more spectacle, will those those people get turned off and stop watching? Maybe. Maybe. But like I said, yeah, Game of Thrones best moments have always been that that's that's the reason you put up with all the stomach punches and <laughs> right. and all the frustration because it, there's no other show that makes you feel those things. So like I said, there, I think there's a legit criticism that's wrapped up in some disingenuous stuff. That's and that's uh, unfortunately seems to be the coin of the realm on like r slash asaoaf. Um, Sean McKay, this was a big concept or topic on Reddit about a month ago, and I think it's very interesting given John's tirade on lying in the past episode. This is long. as about game theory, which um, I think is super interesting. Which was why I'm reading the whole thing. Uh, he also links to this demonstration slash game. In uh, case.me slash trust, which is uh, a way to introduce some uh, basic game theory concepts that we've been talking about in the past podcast. Hmm. Um, one of the concepts is this. Sean continues treating people the way they treat you, but erring on the side of caution, which, in other words, means treating people better when uncertainty is, is present. reigns supreme as a strategy in simple situations such as the prisoner's dilemma, essentially doing what is best for everyone until you get burned. Uh, figuratively speaking, Rick and Stark notwithstanding and only then turning on those who have shown that they cannot be trusted is by far the best play. Because the liars of the world eventually turn everyone against them. This is where Littlefinger's history betrayed him. Everyone in that chamber knew he was a lying little rat, and they all took. And all it took was everyone getting on the same page to close off all of his escape routes. Cersei is rapidly approaching the same point by driving Jaime away. She doesn't have anyone left that cares about her. The only loyalty she commands is those that, we find, that she finds useful... Uh, and possibly the mountain, though I'd wager he's truly only loyal to Kyburn, if anyone. She's cheated and prospered, but people know they can't really treat her, uh, trust her. John's a good example of the copycat from the link above. The only time he's ever really been dishonest was when he defected, quote-unquote, to the wildlings, and even then he was following his orders for the good of the realm. John also saw them as untrustworthy aggressors at the time. Once he learned that they were more than that, he was willing to bring the wildlings into the fold to do what is best for everyone. He doesn't betray people to get what he wants, but he will repay treachery with harsh punishment. He treats people as he would have them treat him. Surprisingly, Danny does a good job following that path as well. I've never been a big fan of Danny. I thought it was interesting the way she turned herself from essentially Drogo's slave to more or less his partner. But a lot of the rest of what she's accomplished has been because she was magically fireproof or has the only three dragons in the world. Nonetheless, she still is, uses uh, good game theory. Miri Mazdur, the unsullied owners, the wise masters, the delegates from Yunkai and Astapor. Danny never really attacked any of these people until they proved themselves to be acting in bad faith. It may have been militarily wise to have done so, but the political fallout would have been disastrous. Once she finds a ruler with a similarly trustworthy mindset, John, she finds her first real ally. Danny says she wishes John had lied to Cersei, but I don't think that's the truth. I don't think she would have lied, and I don't think she would have respected John as much if he had. Do you agree with that? I thought that was a little much when Danny says, Oh, you shouldn't have mm. done that.
1: Like Tyrion, I bought, but Danny, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I buy that assessment of Danny that she would have lost respect or at least some respect for John had he lied right. there.
0: Right. Right. I do say that, because I've watched this episode like four or five times now, and I every time I watched it, I thought that her rebuke of John got a little bit more milder. Because I just realized what she's really saying. It's like, I, all she was really saying is, boy, that decision to keep your honesty is really going to cost us a lot. Right. That's it. She wasn't really Which like... Which is,
1: is a statement of fact, not a judgment, really, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And also,
0: the unspoken thing is, if you had have acted any other way, maybe long-term you know, the love boat wouldn't have happened Uh or like a long-term political alliance might've been shakier. Yeah. Uh, he continues. Interestingly enough, there are two other characters that strongly resemble archetypes from the link. Ned represents the always cooperate and a steadfast refusal to deceive others to benefit himself. He is similarly taken it summarily taken advantage of and wiped out. You also got Joffrey's the always cheaters who explained to his mother, his philosophy of ruling in season one. He's always looking to destroy others to build himself up and found that strategy to be his downfall as well. The reality of this world is that there are very few players that have access to information and power to act on it. Honestly, from the honesty from those in power, is super important to maintaining any kind of order. Cooperation and following the golden rule is the best long-term strategy. If only one had uh, someone had explained the concept of proportionate response to old Walter Frey, he may have been the best follower of this concept in all of Westeros. Instead, all in all, he's just another face on Arya's as well. Oh, this whole email was just leading up to it Pink was. Floyd joke. God yeah. damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Um I thought that was interesting because like I guess I had thought that game theory had taught us that it's always best to act like the other person's trying to fuck you
1: and to act accordingly. I suppose it depends on the stakes, right? Yeah. Because if you've That's got true. one chance You're right. And you lose. I mean when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die, right? right. Like those are the stakes. Right. And if you if you wait until someone screws you to play the game then you're going to be dead before you can play the game it's the stakes and like you know like in a a geopolitical
0: table where you're going to meet the same party again and again and again over the course of like that it seems like yeah it's better to assume good faith and then if they break bad faith then they'll eventually do that with everybody and then you'll have a coalition that can freeze that party out or and Uh and and, and,
1: you know conquer them or impose sanctions on them so that which is why we kind of had such a a uh, problem with later seasons of House of Cards, right? Yeah, where there's li- very little. Frank of... is just—he's playing that game for yeah. himself. He's the Joffrey of that game. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's just gra- g- going up to everybody and grabbing them by their nuts and saying, "Do this yeah. thing," like and breaking that's... all his promises and telling you why he's breaking them. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, But that link is really cool. Uh, the in case dot me slash trust. If you want to know more about like basic game theory, I thought it was neat. Um, Kim M, are we done a door now? What about Astapor, Yunkai, Marine, still technically under Daniel's rule? I What assume part so. do you think the day or the characters associated with them will play in the final season, such as Dario, Alaria, presuming she hasn't de- died already in the black cells? If they play no part, what do you think becomes of them? Uh, there's been little to no mention of them of late, and I wondered if it's because they're no longer relevant in the series or just another story element that should have been
1: addressed but wasn't. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that the Dornish wouldn't be relevant to this battle up right. north. Um even if it's just to squeeze Cersei on the other side, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, well, Cersei's gonna squeeze the north between herself and the, the Night King. Yeah. She's gonna be squeezed as well. I think that could be interesting. I just don't... So far, they haven't hinted that they're even going there. And it's so
0: weird because, pri- like, Dorne is the anti-every-other-great-house. in Because mm-hmm. uh, pre- previously this season, which saw, saw the destruction of, like, the Tyrells and whatnot, but, like... Like the Lannisters, the people and the soldiers had bled, but everyone on top is fine. The Dorn is an inversion of that, where mm-hmm. like Dorn has not gotten involved. Like their military might remains intact, yeah, but they've been decapitated. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, as I always think, this test of like, okay, well, this late in the game, how could you introduce this thing as a piece? It seems like someone smart, like Jamie or Tyrion, could just say what I said. Dorn is the only nation that has an intact military apparatus. Its problem is it's been decapitated. And you could tell that story in 10 seconds worth of previously ons and then bring in the shiny new eye of army to defeat the Golden Company or whatever. Yeah. Whether they're going to do that or not, I I don't know.
1: You'd probably have to introduce a new leader down there, right? Because something's got to be happening down there. Either it's full on chaos and anarchy and nobody's in charge. Or someone has filled the power vacuum, See, which is much more likely.
0: Maybe Jamie could do that, but he he
1: was. A I spy think, it's, but it's already been land. done, right? Yeah. We, we're talking about a, a time span of like a year here, yeah, or maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. It has to have already happened down there, or it's just chaos, right? Uh huh. Yeah, but so, like,
0: if there is a loose faction that you could be that could be united by the right person, but I'm like, yeah, who, maybe. That's the thing. Like, could Dane? Like, could Dane? Could Danny do that um I mean she's in you know, I don't know that's the thing like it would be weird if Dorn just sat sat out, but if i I mean I guess I would believe that they're just in chaos and civil war down there, and they're distracted yeah. if we never hear from them again it's possible what's but... what's the Dorn' story that needs to be told like to me, Dorn has been reduced to potentially a secret weapon that someone would have they're no longer right. no no one we care about down there to 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 finish an arc mm hmm like the Starks, land yes, very much on the table because they all have. They're not just a faction; they actually have people that we care about and we want to see how they end, good or bad. But Dorne, Howland Reed is leading Dorne right Howland. now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Mira's going to get home to spend her final days with her family. <laughs> Turns out Howland's gone down to Dorne. Yep, having a good old time. Um, let's see. Let's move on, Sarah. I can see where you're coming from with the idea that show Danny breaking the wheel equals some form of democracy coming to Westeros, especially since the recent secession conversation with Tyrion seems to foreshadow it. But something's been bothering me that I don't think I've heard you address, and I'm curious to know your thoughts. Danny's whole trajectory is built on her belief that she's destined to rule based on her bloodline, which is pretty much the opposite of democracy. Yeah, she keeps saying that. It would be one thing if she had been born into nothing and worked her way up by sheer gumption, but that's not how it happened. And aside from her saying that she wants to make things better, I haven't seen anything in her behavior suggest she stopped believing in the significance of being a Targaryen. Even the plot where John as a bastard, uh, or Jon as a bastard, could have risen up to rule on his own merits thereby demonstrating it as a possibility for Danny, who moved in favor of dynasty by revealing he's the true-born son of a king. From our perspective, Danny couldn't choose democracy at this point without having a serious identity crisis, and there isn't time for that. How do you envision her breaking the wheel in favor of democracy or something like it without undermining the foundation of her power and self-worth?
1: That's... that's very troubling because even up till mid last season mid this season yeah uh she's been on this trip about being a targaryen and the rightful heir and like all of these things about why she should be on the throne and th- this idea of breaking the wheel seems incompatible with that idea yeah i mean you're not so here's the thing
0: i guess i never until this season and maybe last season saw danny as deriving her self-worth from the fact that she's got the dragon's blood. Right. Because her introduction to that was her blowhard brother who was wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. She became this slave who then became, I guess, a co-equal ruler of this khalasar, and then she had that stripped of her, and she's now this beggar walking through the desert. She got taken advantage... A very similar arc to her brother, who got tricked and taken advantage of and laughed as a fool for the, mm-hmm. most of his history. And then she became slowly a power in her own right. So, like... I'm a little surprised that she's come to Westeros playing this kind of high-handed game, but to me, I guess I've I have no problem reading it as that's just like I don't know, it's like whenever two cultures meet there's like this little bit of a culture clash like I'm thinking when the Klingons had dinner with Kirk in Star Trek 6, like they all have each other's worst like you know stereotypes about each other, so like from mm-hmm. Danny's perspective, these people are all up their own ass about their bloodlines and who has the right to rule so i'm gonna I'm gonna come in and I'm going to have a stranglehold on that
1: because I never really got that you know yeah i'm I'm with you, it was sort of surprising when she she starts on about all that, and i I guess. Because how many think of how many of her titles are about
0: her blood and her like being yeah. the first of her name and right through and, and ruler of the Andals and the first men and all, and how many of them are about the breaker opposite of chains, breaker of chains, yeah. mother of dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a bunch more that are about like, you know, the, the fact that she's freed all these oppressed people. So, like, right. maybe that's maybe that's maybe they're actually telling that through this 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 the storytelling advice that she is kind of conflicted. That there's there's two there's Oh, two, for sure. Yeah. There's like, you know, the mad queen inside of her and there's the benevolent ruler and which is gonna you know mm-hmm. The other way is, you know, this is not the way I want the show to go down, but the fact that like she does have a meltdown when it turns out that John's got the better claim and they start fighting. <laughs> I mean, I'd said that, that would yeah, be my worst that. case scenario, no. but the other thing is is she could just it could be that Danny dies and like, you know, um, that 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 ends her story. Like John then has to like you know, like Tyrion convinces him that like, you know, Danny and her best self would want to break the wheel and here's how we do it. You know, it could be that if she can't have kids, there is no way to have this like this this you're the last Targaryen, this is the last of the line, so you know, she has to accept
1: the fact that, that she has to do something different. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um I'm I'm curious to see which way they lean going into the final season? Because that's going to be, I I I'm willing to write it off as like she's posturing, yeah. for the the sake of you know displaying her power in Westeros. Right. But I I think we need to get some kind of definitive answer. Like her and John need to have a conversation about this or something. Well, and the
0: other thing that's been kind of stabilizing, Danny, is Tyrion, and I do think that you know we've been i we've I, we've talked about it in this podcast that that Tyrion is on the outs with her and you you got to think when they find out that Cersei has betrayed them all that's going to be the final straw like mm-hmm. you know the Danny's just going to not listen to anything Tyrion has to say and it's going to be all fire and blood with a little bit of snow from John. Uh, uh yeah I, I i don't know i don't that's the thing is like i did hate the i i, I hate all those ideas Yeah. The idea that her and John are going to turn against each other because of some fucking blood claim to the throne, that's Mm -hmm. just.
1: That's not really who he is, certainly. I mean, I didn't think it was who Danny was. Yeah. But she wants to do what's right by the realm in my opinion, but, you know, when she comes down to it, is she the dragon? Yeah. Or is she just simply the mother of dragons, Sometimes you know? that like,
0: shit works, too, because I remember reading Lord of the Rings being intensely frustrated when Frodo got through the crack of doom and then refused to throw it in. Yeah. But it had earned that. Like, right. that's how everyone who held the ring acted. It's like this yeah. mis- it's this thing that corrupts you. Like, it's it's that's part of the plot. Like... Is there something intrinsic to the Iron Throne that just like makes people stupid that sits on it, <laughs> or or gets close enough to like that that to sitting on it? Like I mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know that they've earned that. Hmm. Um, although they have talked they have there has been a, plenty of hints of her being a Mad Queen I don't know. Um, you have anything else more to say? Should we move on? No, let's move on. Mad s, what is the purpose of Sam's arc this year? It had to be more than just finding out about the annulment, right? Cure Jora. I realize this enabled Bran to witness the wedding, but there had to be another way to do this. This poor guy cleaned all that crap up to heal Grayscale in a non-magical way and read about an annulment? Hardly worth the trip. I hope Heartsbane comes in handy at some point. Yeah, we're still waiting for the other shoe to drop with Sam, I feel. It is weird that they... Like, I feel like him stealing all those those books at the end is a way for them to cheat. Because they don't have enough time to tell Sam's real, probably super complex Citadel story. Yeah. So essentially, he's going to steal the books that are conveniently going to have the recipe for Valerian Steel and the birth certificate of Jon Snow proving that he was born in Hawaii and not in Kenya.
1: <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, like, I guess I should say I hope we're still waiting for the other shoe to drop because yeah. I, it felt, man, it felt almost inevitable and uh-huh. a little too rote that he would come in with this piece of information that would connect John yeah. to, to the Targaryen line. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if that's because it is the easy way out and the easy thing to write for this character or if that is just the natural conclusion of this storyline. Because it seems inevitable, right? It seems yeah. like the way it has to go. Yeah, just, and I hope I don't find myself being dissatisfied by the way things right. have to go. Because right. this is the end of the story. Yeah,
0: And you know, there's like you can look at Sam's art, because there's a whole bunch of things in the books that are set up characters that we never were introduced and and concepts and like the fact that sand snakes are involved in a citadel plot if you can believe that <laughs> shit. Jack and Hagar <laughs> is involved yeah. in a citadel plot and and none of that happens in the show. It m- makes me and and before whenever I've seen the double Ds condense and like uh, overlap characters and like compress things like I I know where they're going like okay well that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Here it's just like all i see is the resulting state of the end so i have no idea what they've what they've streamlined and and shoehorned and compressed like it it does it does feel like sam is pretty unsatisfying at this point um, yeah he's and-
1: uh, i in as much as John being a Targaryen yeah. is important to the story, Sam is important to the story, yeah. but Gilly equally so. Like, yeah. it's not Sam's special knowledge, it's his happenstance right. of Gilly reading this thing. And it could be
0: that Sam, like, you know, is, it turns out to be the author of The Song of Ice and Fire, which would make right. him important just,
1: you know, in in a standalone kind of way. But yeah. Is it possible he's the final, the last maester standing at the end of it, and he's trying to carry on the work by telling the story? Well, he never made it to maester, so... He'd be yeah, a, that's true. He'd be an I mean, acolyte, he'd be a to, faux maester, he'd be, I guess yeah.
0: that's why like, you know, arguably Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight, d- declared himself a master at the end and started a Jedi Academy, which ended dis- ended disastrously. So yeah. maybe maybe there'll be a uh, <laughs> uh a master academy. Mm-hmm. Can we get Brian? Bri- uh, or wait, wait, Kevin J. Anderson? Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, let's get Kevin J. Anderson to tell the further adventures of Sam. Yeah, yeah, it's. That's and that's the other thing is like all this this satchel of scrolls he stole. They got to be really judicious in what he pulls out because if they if that's just like an ass pull for the victory <laughs> on three different occasions. Uh-huh. Like I, I like I'll accept the Valerian steel recipe is in there. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Anything else? Like I mean, I, obviously not. But you know what I'm saying? The, Hot they got Bread recipes Hot, not going to be yep, in there. They they, they got to be careful what he ass pulls out of that stack of <laughs> rotted bullshit. Uh Caitlin. T. Why do you guys think the Dany company didn't ask Yara and Alaria's or ask for Yara and Alaria's freedom when negotiating with Cersei? Euron mentioned uh, that Euron was care. alive. They don't
1: we... care. <laughs> yeah, let's
0: let's just talk about that. So, <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, yes. Like, I I'm on your side, Caitlin. I felt like. That wasn't that nearly as interesting and as cool as it could have been, or believable as a meeting like of all these sides trying to form an alliance. Like this wasn't Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin sitting around plotting the demise of the fucking Nazis. It sure it's like it was. It was very one sided and theatrical and all those things. So, um, and you, I mean, you this, had... you're, you're asking it to be even more minutiae and in depth than it already was, and.
1: I guess if you mean like after Cersei agrees, they could say, Okay, as a show of faith. Yeah. Give us give us your prisoners. But then But, but there's could... nobody there who like I'm only half joking when I say they don't care. There's right, nobody there yeah. who gives a shit about Yara or
0: Dion? Dion was there.
1: Dion wasn't was... at that no, he was Yeah, he was because Euron talked at... a bunch of shit to him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, why didn't Theon stand up and say, "Hey, uh, by the way, you got my sister. Could I have her back?" And Cersei hmm. could have been, could have asked for a hostage. Maybe she asked for Miss
0: Sandy as a hostage in return. Like yeah. that's that's something that people did. I don't. And then don't they know just why. tell him to sit
1: down. Right. <laughs>
0: right. I don't know why it was so it was huh. so weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of things in that thing that could have been better. But what are you going to do, Jimmy uh, G? You guys were discussing the pros and cons of not seeing a moment that Arya – or not seeing the moment, rather, that Arya and Sansa started to piece the things together and deciding to work together. And you've probably by now seen an interview with Isaac Hempstead Wright where he revealed that there was, in fact, a deleted scene between Bran and Sansa where she essentially decided to ask him to Google a few things for her yep. before she decided to murder her sister. I'm glad, so, so glad, that the Double Ds decided to cut this out, as it would, in my opinion, have taken Sansa to the point where her hateful stupidity would have made her irredeemable in the hearts and minds of many fans, including myself. Hmm. But I'm not sure if I can applaud them for making that decision, because why the hell did they shoot the scene in the first place? Would love to hear your thoughts on whether knowing this uh, was shot changes your enjoyment of the They denou- Knew denou- of the Winterfell
1: storyline at all. It has definitely besmirched mine. Hey, man, I would say... The story the story is told in editing a lot I of the times. To, yeah and and what you do include and what you don't include is is where that all comes together and shooting something mm-hmm. is just there in case yep like if all of this stuff doesn't line up quite right and we need to explain something we can yep whereas if you don't have it, you don't have it and you can't cut it together.
0: I was going to say the same thing. The one thing I've learned in the years of covering these shows and talking to people behind the scenes and people to know what the hell they're doing is the editing is is so vital to the the storytelling. And right. they just never you never know when you're looking at the dailies and you're reading a script and you're seeing like well, how is this going to play and when you put it all together and when you get the first cut, which is always like twice as long as it needs to be. They just start trimming to get the best the best storytelling, the best emotional hits. Um, yeah. And they just keep revising that. So, like, I don't – to me, all these cut scenes, they're not the, – you know, some people treat, like, the director's cut as, like, that's the real story. Mm-hmm. But it's just – that was a version of the story in, in some form, you know? Well,
1: a lot of people look at the script and say, yeah. this is the story. But that's right. not actually true. Like, the way TV and film is made, from my understanding of it, is – the script is more there just for the people who are shooting the thing, right? And then the story itself comes together in the edit, right? Yeah, so and, you, and that's where you would, need to get all of you need to get the story filmed, yes, yes, so that the editor can like trim out the fat and and tell the story the way it needs to be told, right? Right. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really change my opinion of stuff. No, uh, not at all. Um, for me, anyway, it's
0: weird because you can take like like George Lucas is a good example because he, um. You know, I've heard many times people say that the first cut of Star Wars was unwatchable garbage, and, like, Mm -hmm. really talented editors came in there and, like, looped footage and rocked footage back and forth and expanded stuff and came up with a compelling cut that kind of saved the movie. But I've also heard that, like, when he was working with uh, Coppola in the first Godfather, like, Coppola shot that hospital scene... And there was no tension to it Because he just shot the things essentially That had like speaking roles mm-hmm. And George came in while he was editing He was like this shit doesn't work And George took a whole bunch of like The last second when someone walked off Of a, of, a, of the set Like there was a little There was one yeah. second of footage And he froze that frame And like all these empty shots Of of, of corridors and hallways Where he just layered in this this sound of The footsteps wa- And made that scene the Kind of the tense thing That, that, that really works in the cinema mm-hmm. So like which is which <laughs> right. artist is George? can he not edit
1: or can he edit? like like can he only edit
0: stuff that other people do? and uh-huh. he's like, you know, like that's like George Lucas is an interesting guy because he's got everything that's right and wrong with all of his movies can be seen like all the time. but yeah, no, I don't so long story short, I think both of us have a pretty pretty long view of the way editing works and yeah i don't i don't like i i judge stuff on on what actually makes it to the episode right yeah that's why it drives me fucking crazy when i have someone tell me well you can't you can't hate batman versus superman until you see a three and a half hour director's cut (laughs) like no fucking way do i have to watch another hour of this asshole snyder's work to appreciate it properly like his yeah. homework assignment was to tell the story in two hours. Mm-hmm. He, I think mean, he's going to get a credit for me, and he turned it in a week late with twice as much material. Fuck him. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. That's uh, that's the non spoiler season. But again, yeah. the fun doesn't end here, folks. Send your feedback to GameOfThronesAtBaldMove.com. dot com. If season if our season two retrospective is anything like season one, we're going to be continuing the meta discussion about Game of Thrones in the spoiler section of these uh, upcoming. Uh, season 2. So we'll still continue to talk about contemporary theories and what people thought about Season 7, and hopefully no one will leak the scripts until we can get down to Season 2, because I don't want to put up with that, that garbage. Although, man, yeah. I think it's going to happen again. It's quite possible. It seems like, with the sample set, that like the Game of Thrones is, is literally too big not to be spoiled. There's too many yeah. second language translators, there's too many subtitlers, there's too many uh, foreign affiliates, and
1: too many internet points at stake too
0: many internet points at stake to yeah. to to survive unspoiled so but on the other hand, how much will we really be losing if we can't speculate how the next six episodes are going? It'd be a bummer but yeah. we survived this season okay yeah but yeah we are we're coming back next week with the first episode of season two and we'll continue that watch until we're finished with it. Of course we're really things are about to pick up big time a bald move here. Um, if you if you don't want to join us with that, we've got Stranger Things coming. We're going to prime the pump with a little Stranger Things season one retrospective. We got Mr. Robot coming back. We got Walking Dead coming back. We got Westworld coming back early next year. There's mm-hmm. so many so many cool things coming down the pike. Plus all of our first run bald movies and the commission podcast, all that stuff at baldmove.com. I think there's enough inf- there's enough stuff for you guys to, to keep your interest until we come back. Yeah, somewhere between twelve and eighteen months from
1: now. Hopefully, any final <laughs> thoughts? Uh, no, I I'm I don't know about you, but I'm still excited for the next season, regardless oh, of yeah. you know this being maybe a step down from some of the best seasons of Game of Thrones.
0: I think the se- already are just a week behind, uh, my estimation of season seven has risen appro- appreciably since like this time last week. Okay, like cool. as I think and mull over my minds, the big things, yeah work and there's only like one and it unfortunately it's a big central thing mm. there's only one thing that really doesn't work and I, and and even then that was more like they they still didn't quite get the execution but when you look at because i spent a lot of time watching all the behind the scenes because i didn't get every single one as you know contemporary contemporaneously i didn't watch them all but i sat down and watched them all over the long weekend and they spend so much time and money yeah, Like, that shot about how they got the Frozen Lake, like, if you think that's a stupid concept, they really went for broke trying to sell it. Mm. And, like, all the work that went into building that damn set and the fact that, like, these actors are actually out there doing it, like, uh, I mean, I think they're, they're, they're hustling their asses off. Um, it's just, you know, an unprecedented thing to try to tell the end of a story that doesn't exist. And it will be... For someone
1: else to tell the story that doesn't <laughs> right. exist. That's... That's what's crazy about it. It will be a bigger if not also better thing next year. So. Yep. So we'll, we we'll see you then. If not if yep. we don't see some other time at baldmove.com.
0: Uh, we'll see you for season 8. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See you later.